and for a hundred time, welcome to Solo BG Podcast. A hundred episodes, can you believe it? This is crazy. It's been a ride. Let me tell you, a ride. And I'm going to try to be brief on this episode number 100, which I'm very excited, just because the interview that I'm going to present you, it's about two hours. And let me check here, because I actually have it in my, in my computer. Um, so, it's going to be, uh, let me see, let me scroll all the way up, because I'm editing and I'm just recording the intro, and that way I can add it. It's two hours and 30 minutes, so it's a great interview, though. It's with one, one of my favorite content creators out there, the biggest solo gaming channel that it's out there, I believe, and it's with my good friend Adam Smith from Rolling Solo. He has been before on the podcast like a few episodes ago as well, but he, I wanted to keep, I wanted to keep this uh, you know, interview for this special episode. Now, I have to tell you that this interview, there were so, some high and lows because we had some huge technical difficulties. This interview was recorded around May or April, if I don't remember incorrectly, um, on of 2021. So I recorded this interview, like like I said, like probably five, six months ago, but I wanted to keep it. Uh, and I actually recorded in different formats because during the interview, you will hear that my voice quality goes like very low. Uh, thankfully, Adam Smith's voice stays the same, but, uh, you know, I had a, a energy, I was out of energy in my house for, for a few moments, there was a big storm, I ran out of batteries with the recorder that I was do- using that time, um, there was a lot of technical difficulties, the microphone started to fail, so it was just chaotic, so it's sad because for this episode number 100, I wanted to have everything like almost perfect, but at the same time, it's unique, so check it out, it's worth because we talk about a lot of games, spoiler alert, when Nemesis comes to the conversation back then uh, i didn't have any experience with nemesis back then i didn't own the game now i own it now you know if you listen to my previous episode that it's my favorite solo game ever five out of five my holy grail of solo board gaming so i love nemesis but back then it was innocent derek that he didn't play it yet back then right so Bear with me with that and take let's take the time machine a few months ago. Thank you so much. If you have been one of those uh, wonderful people that have give, uh, give us a like in social media, a share in social media, a comment in social media, it means a lot to me. What a ride, 100 episodes. Oof. I mean, I have gathered a lot of friends. I have gathered a lot of experience. I have gathered a lot of fun. I have met a lot of you, uh, and you guys are fantastic, you know. This community is awesome. Please, please, we need to make it, uh, you know, bigger. We need to make it, uh, you know, uh, stronger. We need to keep it positive like we are right now. It's one of the biggest communities out there, the solo gaming. And we're getting more and more and more people into solo gaming, which is fantastic. And also in the whole board game uh, hobby. So let's keep it that way because this hobby is beautiful and we need to keep it that way. Thank you so much also to kickstartedgames.com. That's kickstartedgameswithed.com because they sponsor a few episodes. They're still sponsoring us. Uh, great people. They're on, uh, the, the board gaming uh, store is owned by a beautiful couple from Tennessee. Uh, you should check it out because you can get some cool games. And if you uh, use the code SOLOBG, you get 15% off from your total purchase. And if you spend $100 or more, you get free shipping in the U.S. So 
totally worth supporting there. Um, you know, you will be supporting the show, of course, but m more than anything, supporting a, a couple that they have a board game store and that they're trying to do something for the community as well, like many of amazing people that do the same thing or similar things. So it's always worth to uh, worth it to you know check it out and support. Uh, thank you. That's all I can say. Thank you, really. Um, this podcast have has been an experience to me. I want to keep going. I'm looking forward for the next 100 episodes, you know. I want to make them more fun. Another big achievement is that now we are uh, part of the Dice Tower Network, which that's huge. And that's why this is the last episode probably that you're going to hear uh, the intro that I usually put. Because now we have a new intro that it was recorded, I guess, spoiler alert, from the Dice Tower crew right so you you will uh you will hear a familiar voice there um and i think it's it's, it's gonna it's gonna be awesome um and once in a while i might put this one you know just to to give some some uh nostalgia i guess um thank you for bearing with me with my accent thank you for bearing with me with my english even when i don't say sometimes the words are properly um you know Back then, episode one was 10 minutes or 11 minutes. Uh, the intro was so different. And then that was my whole idea at the beginning, to make episodes uh, about 11, 11 to 12 minutes uh, long. But then I found out that it would, it would be very hard because I love talking about this. Uh, I have so many games that I want to share. Publishers, thankfully, they keep sending games. I keep buying games. So you know how this is it. And, and you know, um, so... I just want to keep playing and keep sharing with you. That's all. I look forward for another 100 episodes. I hope you enjoyed this one. Once again, it's a long one, but it's 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 fun. And, and check it out because Adam shares his top five solo games ever. And last time I talked to him, which was a, you know, a few weeks ago, his, this list it was still the same. So I'm sure we will have him again on the, on the future. And we will see if this list has changed or not when we get there. But in the meantime... You have right now his top favorite, his top five favorite games ever. Uh, check out his content at Rolling Solo on YouTube channel. You know, support him on Patreon. He has some cool perks over there. Uh, and yeah, definitely, it's it's he has been my inspiration. Um, he is great. Uh, you know, every time that I want to know about a solo game, I just go to his channel and. Honestly, like when I see his enjoyment, I ended up buying the game most of the time. So check it out. Definitely worth it um, on your own risk because you might spend a lot of money on games. But it's, man, uh, you know, everybody. <laughs> That's why we're here because we love the hobby and we love the games. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Even if it's one listener right now, I don't care. I love this. I love doing this for you. If you're in Australia, Japan, Mexico, U.S., Wherever you are, I do this for you. I do this for me as well because I love it. And I just want to share with you what I one of the things that I love the most, which is solo board gaming. So with that being said, for a hundred time, like always, let's start with three, two, one. Welcome to Solo BG, your podcast for solo and cooperative board games. Here you will find everything you need to know about your favorite and most recent games. Art, rules, gameplays and interviews. Here is your host, Derek Rodriguez. So now my friends, like I told you on this mythic episode, because 
you have no idea what it means to me. Uh, and Adam Smith is here with us this night, this evening, this morning, depending on where you're listening. Adam, how are you? I'm doing great up here in Canada and seeing some sunshine recently that's making me happy. Hey, that's <laughs> good. Out of my basement a little more often. I know, man. And and like I, like we were talking before recording, Adam, this is episode number 100 on Solo VG Podcast. Uh, it's, it's crazy, right? I mean, of course, you in uh, running, on Rolling Solo on the YouTube channel, you, has, you have accomplished, you know, a lot of things. And I guess you can relate with the feeling when you accomplish certain amount of episodes and you're like, you look back to when you started and it's crazy it's just crazy how uh even the life changes right i mean you you can tell more about it since you have the channel but you can relate with that feeling right of, of looking back and be like man i already did 100 episodes in my case or in like in your case you are probably already did i don't know 200 300 youtube videos or whatever right so it's crazy you're you're bang on like it, th those kind of things you'll never forget like those those uh, milestones and it doesn't matter what milestone it is but whatever it is is special to you um, those kind of milestones that you hit are are big and, and you won't forget them because you'll think of them as kind of like a pivoting point in terms of where you're at and what you plan on doing next and you know because obviously as soon as you hit one goal you're thinking about the next one right that's kind of I know. the mindset but um but it's just it's also kind of proof that you're you're sticking around right and that's <laughs> that's saying something like there's it's it's content creation does take a lot of work and so to get up to a hundred episodes around your with your podcast is a huge deal yeah yeah because i mean i'm pretty sure and i will tell you this is straightforward and i've been sharing this before as well with friends with on board game nights and not so much on the podcast but you know with within mm -hmm. the with the people um one of the reasons why I started with the podcast is because I tried to do some videos, and I st it's still on my on you know on my head. Like one day, one gonna day, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring a YouTube channel as well. But it's too much work. Like sometimes people don't realize, or we don't realize, like the, the like you just mentioned, like one important aspect, the time consuming. Like for example, the podcast right now we're recording, right? And we're having a conversation, we're having a good time, we're going to talk about games, we're going to go over a lot of fun stuff for you amazing listeners. But then after we finish recording, of course, I go to a software, uh, you know, uh, you know, audio <laughs> mixer, and then I start to edit and, you know, try to make uh, my voice not to sound as horrible as it is. And, and Adam, he is, sounds great, so he will, he, he will make it easy for me. But still, it's like post-process work. Now, when you're doing a video, Adam, it takes way longer. Like I, I have no idea how much it takes you to edit. I don't know one hour video. It's like to be honest, the time frame on them are are so different for each one. Um, but the other thing, the one thing I will say is that um, it does definitely take a lot longer than most people think. Um, <laughs> and uh, if you have other hobbies besides board gaming and you're doing content creation that has to do with video, you eventually realize that you you have a hobby like that's it. This is the like. If I had hobbies before, they've they've dwindled down over time. Um, and that's as long as you're, in my opinion, as long as you're passionate enough to continue doing it and, and love doing it, then the loss of those other hobbies, you don't see it as a downside. Um, mm -hmm. I think at the beginning for me, I kind of, I, I saw a couple of them kind of being, you know, a downside for me because I was like, well, I love playing basketball. I love working out and those kind of things. But some of that stuff has to come down a notch in order to open up some time. So yeah, just like anything in life, you have to shuffle your priorities around. And uh, it also means not as much free time to just kind of binge on Netflix. And so I may not be like up and up on the latest uh, TV shows and movies and stuff as, as, as much as most people are. But, um, 
I'm kind of in my own brain. I, I think I'm creating that kind of content is what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm creating that kind of entertainment in a way um, is at least my hope. And I, and I just, I enjoy it. It's fun. It's a blast. Yeah. No, I have to say, honestly, like I'm a huge, uh, you know, rolling solo consumer as well. So you, you just touch another, a very important fact, like what you're doing, Adam, for the community, I think is great because even, I mean, dude, I'm going to be completely honest with you and amazing listeners. Like when I go to bed, uh, you know, sometimes after I record an episode, it gets, gets later on the night and I'm editing or stuff, or even with my, with my daily job, you know, sometimes I have to do some office stuff, it's still after hours and so on and so forth. And when I go to bed and let's say, you know, my wife is already asleep or watching something else, I literally grab my iPad. And if I'm not watching something, you know, that is probably uh, either Batman or DC Comics or something like that, which is, you know, one of my big things, I'm watching like I'm going to YouTube and, you know, the main content will usually come and I don't have, you know, anything. I don't have any reason to say it other because it's the truth. Uh, you know, watching mainly Rolling Solo, and there's another great, another solo channels as well, of course. But, um, you know, you uh, bring a lot, a lot, Adam, to the content creation aspect, as you're mentioning, for the entertainment, I guess, the streaming entertainment of the content creation. And I want to, before we keep going, because we're going to talk about a lot of stuff tonight. Now that we're talking about content creator, to content creation, I'm sorry, you have the, you still have your Patreon um uh, program going on where we can get a lot of good perks do you want to mention it right away just in case if any of you amazing listeners have seen rolling solo you know around there a couple of videos well now you know that there's more perks and more uh, interaction that you can get by becoming a patron from rolling solo adam if you don't mind sharing uh you know that your uh, your levels i guess of patreon yeah like uh the the patreon thing is really just kind of a way for the community to kind of support me um, and really, again, like we talked about earlier, there's, you know, there's time that goes into this stuff, right? So, so the, the financial support of, of individuals that enjoy watching what I do is huge to me. Like I consider anybody who, you know, you throw in a dollar, uh, I consider you like the backbone of my channel. Like essentially it's like <laughs> yeah. once it, once you're kind of supporting with your own, you know, with your own dollars that you've actually earned yourself. Um, I really take that, um, you know. I really take that as a, as a huge plus, not only to the channel in terms of like growth and being able to do different things. Uh, there's a couple things actually in my back pocket that uh, I've recently to uh, told my uh, patrons, but I haven't really discussed with anybody else yet, but I'll mention here and that's, Go for it. Uh, you'll notice the branding of the channel hasn't changed in probably, well, ever. <laughs> it's never <laughs> changed. It's been the same logo and the same look for since the day it was made. Yeah. Um, but thanks to people supporting me and stuff like that, I'm actually looking at getting my uh, my channel kind of uh, like getting a professional overhaul of the of the graphic design. So in terms of the thumbnails and the, the look and feel of everything. Nice. Um, not to say that necessarily what I have right now I don't like because I do like quite a few of the aspects of it. But I think it just needs a little bit of a 2021 boost compared to when it was originally started, I think, in 2017 or so. Okay. So that's kind of one of those things that's kind of another thing that's I'm able to do because of people supporting me. So uh, long story short, there's lots of different perks and stuff that people can jump in on. I have some that are, uh, I've really enjoyed with some people where they, uh, they support me to a level where we sit down and we actually play games online together. So we'll actually sit down and play like, you know, uh, whatever Cthulhu death may die or, or something like this and, and, and rip through a full game together uh, and meet up monthly. So that's there's nice. a bunch of different tiers for different people, depending on what they're interested in. Um, and, uh, and again, I thank anybody who, who's willing to, to kind of open up their, their pocket and help me out. Cause that's a, that's a huge plus, uh, for me. 
Yeah, so that's fantastic. So I definitely recommend it. Go and check it out. Uh, you know, Adam uh, Patreon, and not only that. I mean, of course, the the videos are out there, and just by watching, I think it's also it's all it's all everything count. Like 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 Adam says, when you are like in my case, when you're doing uh, something, I guess content creators. That's what we we like those that sentence or that uh, you know name of content creators. Every time, believe me, when I get a like on Facebook or when I get a follow on Instagram or, or when you get some games from kickstartedgames.com, which is our sponsor, it really helps the, the, the show. It really helps the project, whatever it is, in, in whatever project you support, really keeps going. But it gives the, um, the main host a great feeling of that somebody is, you know, caring and appreciating what you're doing on the other side of the speaker or like in Adam's case on the other side of the screen, the tablet, the iPhone, the Android, whatever you're using. It really it really brings us joy, let's say. But Adam, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. How is life, man, by the way? How is, it, how is everything in Canada? You're mentioning that it's sunny out there, but how is everything with, you know, how was the last year with the, with the you know, situation with COVID? How is over there right now? Are you getting together again with friends to play games or how is everything? Uh, so right now, like if you were to look at like one of our charts for our area, so I'm in Edmonton, Alberta, we're kind of on a, we're kind of, <laughs> as of right now, we literally have gone back to the, to the worst we were at as of last year. So oh. we've kind of done like a full U uh, on the graph, if you're going to say that, right. So look, it kind of looks, it kind of looks like a roller coaster going upwards. Um, okay. And uh, so that's not a positive. It kind of looked like we might have been free of restrictions uh, within the next month or so, but it's looking like things might drag into July, September range. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, there's, I think the more, I think the more that the lockdowns and the restrictions stay in place, I think people are beginning to see that, you know, uh, when they were originally put in place, say last year, people were always like, well, it's probably a three to four month thing. And we'll be, you know, we'll be out of the woods in this thing pretty soon. Sure. But I think people are getting used to the idea that this could be a revolving door for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of a sad state. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause it it's, it's one of those situations where it's like, you don't know uh, based on uh, the vaccinations that are going out to whether or not it's, uh, you know, a variant's going to come out that the vaccination then doesn't cover. And you've got another, you know, revolving situation where this occurs and prolongs how long this goes on for. Uh, there's so many factors to go into on that. But um, as of right now, the, the, I guess the, the only advantage to it has been that I found it's been easy. It's been easier day to day to focus on content creation sure. because of the way this has all worked out. So, I mean, that's the positive. The negative is all our social lives have been completely uh, mm -hmm. derailed, right? Yeah, <laughs> in totally different ways. Um, but, you know, we're all, we're all struggling through it and everybody's in the same boat. So what about we're kind of getting through this together and, and at some point uh, we'll see the light at the end of the tunnel and it'll, it'll be there for us to be able to get together. Cause I, I am dying to get back to a convention at some point and see some people. The last one I went to was Gen Con in 2018. Wow. Um, and uh, be, just because I'm in Canada, right, it takes a little bit for me to get over uh, to the States or even if I was going to go across the water. So um, and I've also got a three year old and a one year old. So jumping if I jump ship and leave for something like that, I'm basically handing uh, all the responsibilities off to my wife. Um, so it's <laughs> it's a lot for one person with a young kid. So I'm, that one's tougher. But I'm hoping that maybe in 2022 or something like that, uh, yeah. there might be some glimmer of hope we can get to a convention. I know, I know. I really miss it as well. And I mean, I guess as you probably give the answer to the next question that I was <laughs> going to ask about Gen Con, like if you were having, plan uh, it was, you were planning on coming or not. Of course, 
Uh, for me, it's easier since I live here in Indy. So it's, you know, what, Jenkins will be like 15 minutes away from where I live. And that's it. Uh, but, um, you know, I feel like this year definitely will be a year. And I hope it's just this year and the next one we can go back to normal. Of course, we have all these factors around the world, like you just mentioned, like, uh, you know, this, this, the statistics are just, uh, you know, fluctuating around just because either we uh, the government takes certain measurements or not. And, and, you know, things that I don't want to get into it because then you fall into pol polit uh, political beliefs and stuff. Yeah, but it's, such a, it's such a ball of water. There's so much yeah. stuff wrapped up in this. So, but what, what, I, what I was aiming for is that uh, I really hope, and I'm pretty sure as you do, uh, Adam, that conventions hopefully come back in the, in the future, in the near future, as normal as we have those good memories of hanging around there and, and, you know, demoing games and going like in this case, Gen Con through the vendor hall. And then after hours to play on the exhibition hall, I remember what it was, what it was called the next, the hall next door where basically everybody's playing all the time and so on and so forth. And then you walk around. I miss there. that. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, like you just talking about, it makes me just realize like how much I missed it. Yeah. And like, and again, like I didn't go 2019 and stuff like this. Right. But mm -hmm. like, I remember coming back from the 2018 Gen Con and that was, I mean, again, it was my first one. So when you, when you go to a convention for the first time, your first one's pretty special because it kind of sticks out. You're like, wow, that was mm -hmm. wild. Like you meet a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Um, at that point in time for me, I was, I was just starting the channel. Like it was very new. No. So I was not somebody that anyone would recognize and stuff like that. And I wouldn't even know if today I'd be somebody that anyone would recognize. But, uh, you know, regardless, when I was there, I just was there to just kind of see people that were already kind of mm -hmm. notable characters in the scene of board games. Yeah. So, you know, I ran into uh, my, well, I knew my uncle Rodney Smith from Watch It Played was there. Yeah. So I obviously like, you know, connected in with him and stuff like that. Um, and during Gen Con, there was the, I forget what they called the room. There was the one major room. It's like their games room, like the BGG game room or something like oh, that. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember walking in that room and walking into a room of like 40 to 50 content creators all in the same spot mm -hmm. from like across the entire industry. Yeah. But everyone was just sitting down playing games, just having fun playing games, mm -hmm. switching tables and whatever. And it was just wild because I met so many people in such a short window that when I came home, I was kind of like, it kind of blew my mind because I was <laughs> I was kind of somebody on the outside looking in back then. Yeah. And I felt like I had actually met a whole bunch of people by the time I got done two days or, or three days of Gen Con. I was like, I actually feel like I have a connection to some of these people now. And uh, and then I never got a chance to get back out. So, uh, <laughs> so now I'm just like not really missing it. No, and, and I'm pretty sure you, I mean, we will, we will be there, Adam, in the near future where we'll be playing. Gen Con is, I think, of, I have to say, like it's probably... It's the it's definitely the uh, the biggest gaming convention that I have been. There's a few in the city here in India as well that happens uh, during the year during a normal. Yeah, year, of we course. had a couple too. Actually, I mean, they're quite small as well. Yeah. I've never actually attended any of them. They're really small. I've, I'm, I, well, I shouldn't say they're really small. I've never really attended, so I couldn't say. But I I think they're in the hundreds. I don't think it's like a a thousand plus kind of affair. No, no, no. And for example, with GenCon, everything is special. And like you were mentioning, like, for example, for, for me, I mean, I have this gaming group that we go together, like, literally. Uh, I live my, I live, I left my SUV on one of my friend's car. I'm one of my friend's house, I'm sorry. And then we drive together on his car. Then we pick up another guy. And we are at GenCon by 9 a.m. before the doors open. And we try to be with this. The first day, we try to be with everybody all together. Like, imagine in COVID times, that would be crazy. But all together, thousands, thousands of people. And everybody's yelling and almost like, uh, singing you know uh, hymns 
out, I'm sorry, hymnals from you know, from different countries. I mean, it, it looks very epic. And then when they open the doors, and I I still make fun of the people from the from the convention, right? They always <laughs> like, do not run. We're gonna take these batches out. If you run, we're gonna take your batch out. And they told you like probably five or six times. And then as soon as the door opens, what everybody does runs. So. And when you see those videos right now, you can go to YouTube and be like 2019, 2018, Gen Con opening day, whatever. You will see this big, huge crowd like yelling and singing and all that stuff. And then the doors open and you can see this whole mass of stampede of humans walking towards games. And it's crazy because people still believe that our hobby is not popular. And then not only that, you're walking in the vendor's yeah. hall. Yeah, you that was... I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. I was I was really lucky in twenty. So again, like I only got in twenty eighteen, so I can only speak to that. But like, uh, I hear you one hundred percent on that massive rush, like <laughs> that first opening door thing. Because I I got really lucky, and I was able to um, at the time I I had just started um, doing a couple videos for Too Many Bones. Okay. Because I think that was right around the time frame when like they were just coming out with their. I think their Kickstarter already, like their first one had just delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, I think had already delivered um, and they were just releasing like their next batch of in hand kind of coffees at Gen Con. Um, okay. So this was kind of like their first big push there, I think, or maybe second. Um, but I got really lucky and was able to be inside the actual uh, floor before the doors opened um, because mm-hmm. of them. So I was able to actually like, be in their booth area. Like I wasn't like in their booth doing any kind of sales or anything, but I was just there hanging out with them. And I remember when the doors opened and I, fe- you could feel the wind like blowing through the pathways <laughs> because of all the doors opening at once. It's kind of like in your house when you crack doors open yeah. on either side and you feel that rush of air come through. And it's like the feeling of like, okay, within like, as soon as you feel that air come through this building, you're like, okay, within like five seconds, we're going to see humans. And all of a sudden it's just like, bam, 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 down every aisle. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, some of them are full tilt running. Um, you know, thinking that they're going to, you know, you know, be the first person or, or they're going to miss out on something. Yeah. Um, it's kind of got that black Friday appeal without mm-hmm. anyone yeah. getting, you know, beaten to a pulp. <laughs> it's, but it's, but it's so good. I, I miss it. And it's fun. It is fun. It was, it was a fun time and it was exciting too. Cause it's like, it's a weird feeling, um, to be part of that. And I, I do remember seeing some videos and I watched a couple, like you said, of them opening the doors up and just been like, wow, like that is a lot of people just standing there <laughs> waiting to run in. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and not only, I mean, not only the vendor hall is, is huge. Like you're walking around and even if you have those maps, they give you, I get lost all the time, but I love getting lost there because you know, you're probably circling back to the same boot over and over, but every time for some reason it feels different and you can see yep. probably a game that you didn't saw before. Then not only that, then you go to the gaming hall that it's on the side that it's another humongous room where there's also some sales over there, but there's mainly gaming libraries and people just playing what they just bought. Then, like you mentioned, Adam, there's they sell you tickets for $1 or $2 or something like that, that they give you access to other rooms, let's say the, let's say the Board Game Geek room or a different the Dice Tower room as well, that you can go and play their gaming libraries. Then there's also, uh, you know, even like classes. Like I remember being in a class for gaming designing that it was very boring by the way but it was yeah, a, I yeah. was a class there was a whole bunch of classes and that's the yeah. thing right you go to Gen Con and you're like I'm going to experience all this stuff and then you come back and you're like I experienced like 10% of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then you go you get to go to the Lucas Oil which is the 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 NFL the Colts stadium team where they play 
and you yeah. you you get to play on the field on the football field you get to play so that's, that's a pretty cool, cool experience where oh, you're playing there was that was that where it's in a separate building like yeah you yeah take the, so you go yeah. to you go to I a remember tunnel going yeah. to that building and yeah. then looking down into the pit area where they had all the stuff set up and I, i didn't go down in there but it was just cool to know it had expanded out to that area. Like I, I was still kind of like mind boggled that there was even something going on in that building. Yeah. So with the convention center, like there's a tunnel that takes you uh, below the street and it takes you to the, to the stadium. Right. So as you right. go through that tunnel, then you go to the different rooms on the Lucas oil stadium, where usually they have classes there and stuff. And like, you know, just um, talks, I get like sort of like pep talks, everything related to the industry. And then on the stadium, on the actual field, They uh, have a huge gaming library that, once again, you pay like, I don't remember, like $5 or something, and it gives you access. And you get to play all these huge gaming library that this, that this is a gaming library from Gen Con, I believe. But you get to play on the field. So as you're playing a game of Clank, let's say, you take your look up and you're actually having the same, uh, you know, I guess the same view that the players <laughs> or something similar that the players when they're playing a football games, they see, you know, yeah. it's, it's just very impressive. That's what was weird. because I had come, I forget how I got there. Obviously didn't take the tunnel. I, unless the tunnel connects up top, but I'm pretty sure I came around on the kind of on the mid tier level of the building, okay. or maybe at the highest level, something like that. But I remember being able to look down towards it. Right. So yeah. I was kind of like up a full level at least. Um, and I, I hear you on that because I looked down and I was kind of like, this is weird to be in a sporting <laughs> event area yeah. and be seeing a whole bunch of board games <laughs> with all the floodlights filling the area where everyone's playing board games. I was like, this is strange, but it's also very cool. It's very cool. And then not only that, yeah. then I also love like once towards the, they, they close usually the vendor hall at 6 p.m., right? So after 6 p.m., Uh, you know, we go to any restaurant or any bar outside of the of the convention center. Everything is packed. But the cool thing is that all the bars and restaurants are packed with gamers. So you go to a bar yeah. and everybody's either drinking or, or eating, but they're also playing games over there and whatever. And then you go back to the convention center after the vendor hall closes and there's still people in the hallways and everything <laughs> playing all night. And then you go to the... Uh, Pathfinders and Dungeons and Dragons rooms, which even if you're not a player, it's very impressive just to see all these tables full of people yelling and, you know, all the DMs giving their best and people rolling their dice and, and then even with cosplaying. And it's just, I miss it. I miss it a lot. And I'm really, I do. I really do. Like it's, for me, it's like my Christmas, man. Like Gen Con for me is the best time of the year. Uh, and you know, I hope my wife is not listening because then I will be like my wedding anniversary. But <laughs> Jenkins is <laughs> the best family. It's just great, Adam. It's great. I mean, we definitely have to go very soon. Hopefully, once uh, everything changes and and for the better, of course. Yeah, definitely. And and I top of mind, but like I said, it's been a, it's been a while. But there was a pub that I found there that was really good, and a lot of people have been to these uh, places. And I think there was like a shaken burger place that most people went to late at night that stayed open to like outrageous hours i think they were open at like one in the morning or something like this so like you you just knew nine, the majority of people that had come from the gen con convention that were still up and, and trying to do something play games all night long mm -hmm. uh were going all night long in those rooms like those board game rooms and stuff like that and then would just run over and go grab shakes and food and hang out till like two three in the morning and yeah. then of course the next day try to function like they're normal humans that actually have energy yeah uh, and each day just got progressively more more brutal in terms of your uh, level of energy <laughs> yeah <laughs> But I, know. i think the excitement keeps your the excitement and the adrenaline kept up your uh your energy levels enough until you hit the airplane on the way home and that's when you usually crash when you realize how much or how little sleep you've actually had 
what what was the biggest what was the biggest thing that you bought on Jenk on that time? Like, did you? What, I mean, how many board games oh, did you buy? Sorry, what? did you say the biggest thing I bought? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, of course, board games, right? But better say hmm. because I will tell you right now. What, for example, on the last Jenkon, what I walk away with a gaming table uh, from a oh, com- wow. from a company. That's that, impressive. Yeah, but once again, I live in the same city, so it was easy to transport it. But it was from a uh, from a gaming uh, from a gaming table industry that doesn't exist anymore. They were called the ultimate table of gaming or something like that. They did a couple of Kickstarters. So what happens is that on the last day, they were like giving their tables very cheap, the ones that they brought for demo there. So I happened to walk by there and they had literally, I mean, I don't even want to mention the price, but it was like 75% off, including all the cup holders and iPad holders and stuff. So it it was fairly cheap. And I was like, you know what? I will take it. Like I was like, it's now or never. So I just grab it. I mean, of course, not the table. I didn't grab the table, but what I mean is like I paid it right away there and then I brought one of my friends' truck. But then I'm wondering, once again, I live here in Indianapolis, but you that live in Canada, which is, (laughs) it's not crazy far, of course, as comparing like if somebody comes from England, but at the same time, it's another country. Uh, and I don't know how much, how much take, how much it takes you flying from, from, uh, from where you are to Indianapolis, but how many board games did you walk out with that Gen Con? And how do I you actually, how do you I, did I it feel, to put it? I don't there? know. I, I I couldn't tell you if I did like a great job or not, but I feel like for the first one I was at least smart enough to bring a second carry-on that was empty. Okay. Um, so I I we kind of just checked an empty bag basically the first time. Um, and again, I probably could have just bought a bag when I was there somehow, but I would have had to find a bag somewhere in the vicinity of the hotel area down there in Indianapolis, which would I'm sure would have been a little bit more difficult than it sounds. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I just brought an empty bag. And then uh, when I was there, um, you know, the stuff that I picked up, uh, I, I want to say the largest thing that I got was probably the Tower of Street Masters. Um, okay. that, I got that from Adam and... And, uh, and Brady? Well, from the Sadler Brothers, yeah. yeah. And uh, it was, oh man, like, I remember carrying that thing. Um, and again, it was, I think it was four or five boxes high, I think, because it was like <laughs> yeah. the whole Kickstarter Yeah. and I was carrying the whole thing. So I'm a relatively, I'm six, three. So I'm a decently tall person with somewhat tall, like or lengthy arms. So it's not hard for me to hold it, but if you have to walk from the convention floor all the way back to your hotel, uh, that's actually, it's actually pretty long. <laughs> and <laughs> we were also weren't staying at the. Uh, hotel that's directly connected either we were kind of at one just a little bit further down so okay by the time i got to my hotel room i remember putting the games down i think i needed to have a shower and like lay down for a second because i was like that was ridiculous i'm not doing that again <laughs> <laughs> but but uh yeah so I, I i remember putting those in my suitcase and they pretty much filled it so much so that like it was top to bottom full and there might've been rooms on the left and right of the suitcase to put some extra small stuff here and there, but the most of it was street masters. So I spent a course of, like some people do open the games up at night, punched everything down to like the smallest possible <laughs> piles <laughs> yeah. and then kind of con- merged all these expansions into like one or two boxes. And of course now they weigh even more, but they're all just compacted at least. Yeah. And that gave me a little more space, but I was kind of going, yeah, this is a problem. I was like, <laughs> when you're somebody who has to travel and bring all this stuff home, you're like, yeah, you realize your suitcase eventually gets to this point where you're either going to damage all the games you're bringing home, even though you're, you're doing a great job getting so many games. Cause you're like, like so super excited. Yeah. Um, Getting them home is half the battle because I remember opening up the the pack when I got home and I'm pretty sure I crushed at least 
two or three boxes in there, right? They came out looking like somebody had stomped on them. Um, <laughs> it's just because you're jamming them all in and it looks perfect. You usually are like, oh yeah, I've put t-shirts in here and I've made it so that it's generally pretty compacted in. It shouldn't break up. And then of course you open it up at home and you're like, wow, that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, yeah, cardboard doesn't hold up so well when it's being tossed around inside of a luggage container under a plane. It doesn't, doesn't hold up too great. I know. Right? Um, but yeah, so anyway, it was it was it was fun though, and I think the next time I would go to Gen Con, my my mindset would change from buying everything to just, and that was probably one of the things I did wrong when I came back and I thought about it afterwards was that I was really excited to get the thing that was available, and I think that's what I'd rather not do next time. I almost want to go and see that those things are available, but know full well that they're going to come, you know, become available or be available a month after Gen Con on a store. And then it's like, why am I, why am I going to this length just to get it a month early? Like it's, is it really that necessary to put all that effort in? Yeah. Um, and then on top of it, you're spending half your time sweating over getting to the right <laughs> places to get the games and making sure you even get it. Yeah. And if you take all that out of the equation, you realize you can actually sit back and enjoy the experience and play games and see people and meet them, which is probably the best part of the whole convention. Um, it kind of sounds like a big hangout if you're doing it in that in that kind of a perspective versus just running there like a fire sale and buying everything you see. <laughs> I, I, I have to say, Adam, that I'm guilty. And that's my main my main me problem. Too. Like, me too. I mean, it, and, and of course, it's easy to say yeah. that until I go again, and then I see all these games in front of me. I'm like, ah, oh, I want these things now. This yeah. is this is this is gonna sound dumb, but one of my biggest enjoyments of Jenkin, it's to hurt my wallet. Like, like literally, like I enjoy. <laughs> Guarantee it, like, your wallet's gonna see some pain. That's for sure. Yeah, but I mean, I I I definitely enjoy. Like, I know once again that. It's not the smart thing to do, like you said, and you're right. It's probably better just to... Those games will come anyway. Unless it's a Kickstarter exclusive that you did in back or something, then it will be a little bit hardish, just because yeah, you, you will have yeah. to buy it eBay or whatever. But uh, it will still be available. But to me, man, I mean, I get what you're saying, and I know, believe me, I want to do it. I want to implement it on my life. But <laughs> it's so hard. I mean, I just love like going through that rush. Like I bought these three or four boxes of, of I don't know, you you name it, uh, like the Street Master thing or like Brook Cities then the next year and then uh, the Alter Quest and stuff. And, you know, it's crazy. Which, Adam, by the way, before we t keep talking with, uh, you know, about cool things like Gen Con and life and games, let me remind you, my friend, of the mechanic that we have been doing in the previous amazing interviews with the amazing, fantastic, fantastic content creators and publishers and designers that have been here on the podcast. So what we're doing, my dear Adam, is that you're going to give me a list of your five favorite board games ever. Of course, we're going to focus, I'm pretty sure, in solo board gaming. Um, <laughs> and we're going to go from number five, which being the less favorite, to number one, which is the favorite And I know you might bring some honorable mentions around there, uh, but we're going to talk about them. So before we keep going, talking about these amazing things, which once again, we're going to keep talking, uh, you know, between the, the, the list, I want to know your number five. I want to know which game made it to those top five games ever. And I will tell you this. I won't mention this. I won't mention which game, but there's a game that I'm so excited to receive on Kickstarter very soon. And I went all in with everything. I love Neoprene Mats, so I went, of course, with Neoprene Mat. And my expectations are that that game will be my holy grail solo gaming. So if you don't put it on your list, I will, I will ask you about that game later. 
Um, but I hope that game is there on that list because that will make me so happy because I have to say that usually for what you and I have been talking, you know, a little bit through Messenger and, and, and you know, texting there, um, I feel like I have the same kind of test, taste on solo gaming that you have, uh, the type of games. So, um, so yeah, I'm hoping that game is there. So let's start with your number five, Adam. <laughs> Sure thing. Um, do you want me to do the honorable mentions too? Or do you want me to jump right to five? Because I'm perfectly fine with that. Just go with the five, my friend. And then okay, the honorable mentions will we'll come down the road. All right. So the uh, number five uh, is This War of Mine. Okay. This is one that came out in 2017. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, and, and this is, I th- it, maybe you can you can say this uh, for yourself or, or sure. not. But mm-hmm. I think for me, the way I would sum up my, uh, like what kind of games I generally seem to like uh, mm-hmm. But I'm also like very into a number of other different types of games as well. But I think I seem to lean very heavily towards thematic games. Yes, my uh, friend. They, they yes. seem to be the ones that always grab, and that's probably just because of my past history in video games. Mm-hmm. And like most of us, spent way too much time playing video games. Still do. Um, and so when I play something solo the only way that my brain can process that I'm going to enjoy it alone is to have a narrative and a theme that's going to really make me want to come back and play more of it. A story, something that drives me to play it again. Mm-hmm. If it's just a system of movement or just an engine and that's it. And the theme is dead. Uh, I lose interest really fast, or I may play it and enjoy it for what it is. Cause I appreciate the system or whatever's behind, like in terms of the design. Yeah. But in terms of me coming back and playing it again or keeping it in my collection, that's where I can start to say, yeah, this game's going to stick around or this one's going to go at the door. Um, so this war of mine was my number five. And the reason it's number five is because I remember the first time I laid this thing out on the table and I looked at it and I was kind of going, okay, well, I mean, this is obviously based on an, a very strong video game that mm-hmm. is very popular. Um, it does come with some serious heavy subject matter. <laughs> like it's, bank- it's banking on some stuff that's pretty heavy. Um, but the thing that I like about it and the thing that I think is incredible about it is the fact that they brought people in that experience those types of situations so that the narrative and the, in the, the, even though the content can be raw and pretty, pretty harsh, it's real. Like it's, it's very, very real. So to the point where you can't just look at it and be like, Oh, somebody just wrote that just to write it. Like it's just in there just to kind of, you know, stir the pot and cause some kind of like, you know, um, feeling or emotion just for the sake of it. Um, this war of mine was kind of like when I played it, I just, you feel something every single time you play it. Um, and it also just tells a story so fluidly through its game mechanics. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when you're playing the game, you, you, I mean, first off, you're staring at the house that you're essentially, you know, trying to make use of. Right. And it's just a bunch of rubble and mess. Um, and so, so right from the beginning, you know, you're kind of in trouble. Uh, yeah. and it doesn't give you much from the start, but as you play the game more and more and more, you realize there are a few things you can do to your advantage to help you mm-hmm. to give you a leg up to maybe survive a little longer. Even if the game throws some pretty harsh curveballs at you, um, you can, you can make a buy, but I saw one post recently, I think it might have even been today. And I don't know if it was in my rolling solo Facebook community or in the solo Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Uh, but somebody had to ask, you know, how do you go? How is, how, what is your mindset when you play this war of mine? Do you go into it with the idea of being as harsh as possible to get what you need to win? Do you go in with the idea of being a nice person to everybody or not doing the harsh thing until you need to? Uh, like there's so many different ways you could play this on an emotional and moral level. Yeah. 
that's the reason why I like it so much. Cause I can come into it and go this time. I'm going to play it as if I was going to play it, how I would actually act. And then you yeah. could play it and be like, but I'm going to play next time as if I'm this guy who doesn't give a rip about anything. And I just need to, you know, I'll do whatever it takes to win and essentially, you know, survive with at least one person and I'm happy. Uh, so yeah. uh, no matter what kind of thing. Right. And, um, the feelings that you get out of that game, I don't get out of anything else in my collection. There's not a single game that I have that has that emotional weight behind it. Not even, not a single one. I can't think of anything. There's <laughs> yeah. literally nothing. And you know, um, you know what? The, you're 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 touching a good uh, good aspect of the game because let me get with the technical specifications right away here that we that we have of course in the board game geek. So this war of mine. It's ranked overall at 149, so that's very high for the whole database of, of BoardGameGeek. Uh, yeah. On the thematic position, it's number 36. It's a, definitely, like you mentioned, Adam, a very deep thematic game. It's actually one of my favorites as well. I love this War on Mine, uh, even if it causes different feelings, right? Uh, it was published in 2017, uh, and it says one to six players. I cannot definitely see this game playing more than two or three at most. I think it works perfectly for solo with a complexity level of 3.2 out of 5 and it's for 18 year old plus, of course, because of the theme. It's one of my favorites too, Adam. And I think I see all around, of course, when you go in to look for videos on this game, on, on you know, from the other uh, big content creators and companies, I guess if you want to call it, or, or content creator channels, better said, um, most of them they don't get very appealing to the game because of the theme. And I personally have some friends that, you know, they don't have any desire of playing this game just because of the theme. Because they feel like when they play games, they want to, you know, do something, I guess, more nicer or, or be powerful or, or superheroes or combos or whatever. And this is a game that, like you mentioned with your, with your um, description of the game, is nothing like that. This is a game that you're getting yourself immersed on the situation, on the story. You start, like you said, very harmed. Your your characters are pretty much almost sometimes very sick or hungry or whatever, uh, and that will limit your actions. And then you start to look around the house. Let's see what we can build. Like let's build a chair at least to relax, or let's build try let's try to build uh, I don't know a container to get the drop from the rainfall in that way we can get some water or or let's put uh, build something to put some fire there in that way we can get a little bit of warm here in the house but then careful if you go at night uh, you know to get resources or something because there could be snipers that they can just you know kill you if they if they want or if you go to a church and be careful what you say to the people that you encounter because you know it can either it can the things can go very well or everything can go south so you know it's it's crazy i mean it's crazy also, the amount of replayability that I have experienced with this game. I feel like you can play it many, 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 many times. And even if you start with the same situation, the game will take you in so many different directions that it will never feel the same, even if you manage to survive every time. Isn't that right? <laughs> and, and to be honest, too, like I think the other thing I really, the, the other couple things I'll mention about that I like is the fact that the, um, like the expansions, that came out for it like just added to it like mm -hmm. they just kind of added layers so if you kind of had already played the base game enough times you kind of got the gist of that the expansions like allowed you to kind of piecemeal things in and out or kind of go nuts and just add a bunch of stuff in mm -hmm. um but it, it's it's really interesting how much flexibility there is with it it's also 
I, I found it personally a joy to learn. I saw, I read some people's thoughts on it about, you know, some people don't like necessarily learning by playing, I, I guess, which uh, seems or sounds weird, but yeah, I really like it just because it was, you know, you open up a book and you literally just go, okay, so this book is going to, t- to walk me through all mm-hmm. of these rounds. Um, and then by the time I'm done the book once, I'll have the general flow in my head. And then there'll be obviously little off cases I'll have to look up in the rules. But these, you know, the way this is laid out, I should be able to just start running. And the other cool thing is, too, is there's it's not like here's a rule book, read 20 pages. You know, OK, you've already fallen asleep. We'll try again tomorrow. Um, yeah. And then you start playing the next day kind of thing. It was I just put it down the table. It looked cool, like just from the setup. Right. So mm-hmm. I was excited for that. And then I was like, oh, I don't have to read the rule book. I can just start playing it right away. And just even if I don't know exactly what I'm doing, I'm just kind of at least I get to enjoy kind of just the like the discovery of the game and how to make this work. And for some reason, that really clicked with me. I loved I love that way of learning versus you know, the typical way that most board games are designed these days, which is here is a gigantic rule book and maybe a couple examples of how you could start off a turn. But for the most part, you're kind of on your own. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I find that like, and, and I'll touch on this again later on the list, but like there's, there's many games out there that are starting to adopt that like learn as you go style. And I think it's something that needs to happen more often. There needs to be more games that there were more rule books that are structured in a way to get you to play through a round with the basics right yeah, yeah, to get yeah. you going and then open the door up and say now go further as you want to based on your strategy and whatever else but at least you now have the flow down versus just reading the systematic one two three four here's what you do um so anyway i find for me that works better but i've also heard for some people that's the opposite right like it yeah. doesn't it's, it's not the best and they, they don't like it because they feel like maybe they're lost right yeah, <laughs> maybe no. they're just kind of like fud- fudging their way through it kind of thing um, but the other thing that shocked me about this one too on Board Game Geek was the fact that it was rated 7.8. I think mm-hmm. that's extremely low for mm-hmm. what it actually is. I think that's insane. I think it's one of the most, I mean, I hate using terms like underrated and whatever. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it is, it's, it literally is lower. Like it, it is for sure an eight plus game. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's no argument there at all. Um, and uh, in my opinion, it's probably, it's definitely an 8.5. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably that, somewhere between 8.5 and nine. Because it's it's a masterpiece in terms of a board game, in terms of like actually the design of it. I wouldn't say the the, the game's a masterpiece in terms of comparison to all of the board games, but it's a masterpiece in terms of the emotional hit that you get while playing the game that isn't seen in anything else. And I think that's what makes it so impressive is that there's how do you translate emotion to a board game, right? Like how often Mm -hmm. does that actually happen? that you actually play a game and come out with an emotion that's like super strong. Sometimes it happens in things where there's stories or a narrative book you're reading, or maybe a choose your own adventure. And it can kind of come out in pieces. Like you could be playing something like tainted grail or something like that. And something could happen. You could be like, Oh, that hit me hard. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, there's certain aspects in certain games, but this one's just like, it's nonstop. There's no, yeah. you don't get a break. <laughs> like yeah. It's just, I mean, good things can happen. At the time things are bad. And, it's going to keep hitting you. Um, and and it's weird because there's lots of board games that are going to throw bad things at you, quote unquote bad. But this one, just the way it does it, makes it feel like you actually kind of feel for the people, the civilians that were kind of trapped in this war-torn city while you're playing it. You kind of It helps you to realize and learn like how terrible war really is in general, mm-hmm. especially for the people that aren't even involved in the conflict, the people that are just stuck in the middle. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's another really cool aspect of the game is that it's not from the perspective of like two sides fighting and you're part of one of the sides. You're just a person trying to get by while the bombshells and the snipers are firing off around you. Um, so you're just in the mix trying to make it work, right? And it just shows you that like life life is not fair. It's <laughs> like, not it's fair not, at all, my friend. It's not fair. And and this I don't know, there's just so much to learn from this game that I think people wash over it really quickly and go, well, it's really heavy and it touches on things I don't like. And it's it's you know, it's got some subject matter there that most people don't really want. It's like hot button issue kind of thing. And I look at it and I go, this is a game to learn something from. This is a game that you can like look at and reflect on and be like, you know, we've moved past this mentality, right? Mm-hmm. I hope. Yeah. Um, in today's society. No, I agree. And, 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 our side of the world. and do you think uh what once again that is the the rating is low on BGG, do you think it's because of the theme mainly? Because the, I think that's it. I think it's just the theme that it's such a unique so theme that it's just not appealing from for for everybody, right? Um and now that you that you answered that you think so too. I have another question for you regarding this game before we yeah. keep going with, with amazing uh, with an amazing chat. Are the yeah. expansions worth it for this game? Do you think they're is necessary? It worth it? Yes. Yeah. And the thing is cool is that if you've got the Kickstarter, um, so and, it, and not many people like not many people had it because Kickstarter wasn't as big of a thing back then. I think this is Awaken. This might have been Awaken Realm's first big time thing, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. their first out the door game. And so they had a ton of really cool things that, like the Rubble Die, for instance, is something that's like almost impossible to find. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have one. Uh, there's a couple pieces that you could have gotten that I'm still even missing. There's all these furniture pieces and all this kind of crazy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so like some of this stuff's never going to come back ever again because it was so it was so different back then the way things were done and things weren't reprinted like they are now. Um, and obviously there's an ex- there was a handoff from Awakened Realms to uh, Galactica, I think. Galacta Games. In yeah. terms of like, if I'm even pronounced, yeah, Galacta, mm-hmm. um, in order to just handle the retail side, um, but. Um, the nice thing was that they at least, you know, if you got the stretch goals, you have a certain amount of content, right? That nobody mm-hmm. had at that time. But then when the retail version started coming out, what they did was they took all the stretch goals and they kind of, in a, in essence, they sliced it in half and said, here's two piles of stuff. Now we're going to add some extra stuff on top of those two piles and we're going to release them as retail expansions. So we're going to almost bolster what the stretch goals were, but also include... Uh, make use of the stretch goals in a, in, a, in a more full way. So instead of them just being stretch goals, they're just kind of tagged on and thrown in. They're, they're going to build a little bit more story around it, a little bit more gameplay. Um, the only downside is if you were a backer of the original one, you're kind of going, oh, well, I, I have to rebuy an expansion where I might even have 50% of these components already, and I'm just buying it for the cardboard and paper that makes the gameplay better. Okay. And that's kind of an... That was a spot where they were stuck for a while trying to do update packs and all this craziness for people, right? But I think if you're coming into it now, you can buy the bit, the core game, you can buy the two released uh, expansions that are out for it, and you can just run with that. You're done. Like, there's no need to worry about getting anything else. <laughs> so then... There's no there's no FOMO involved anymore. No. Um, the Rubble Die might be the only thing that I think people are like, oh, I wish I could grab that because it's super cool. But to be honest, it's a, di- it's, it's a single die, and it's random. So it's going to throw randomness into your gameplay, right? So mm-hmm. I mean, some people like that, some people don't. Uh, I can tell you right now, I think one of the one of the sides of that die, I think it kills a character instantly. So wow. it's like, no. But yeah. the craziest thing about that die is that it's designed in a way that there's different sizes. So like, if you think of a typical die, they're all the same size, all the same. It's one weight, and it's all um, equal. 
equal size in each side. Mm -hmm. if I'm saying that correctly. Um, but with this rubble die, it's kind of like beat up, distorted, and the sides aren't all equal. So when you roll it, they've purposely made some of the more positive things larger. So you have a better chance of getting some positives, mm -hmm. right? Which is why I think the people like the rubble die, but there's still always that looming bad, really, really bad like <laughs> result <laughs> where you land it and get the tiniest fragment of the rubble die. And I think it just kills all, it kills a character like instantly or something or, or puts them into a really bad state almost right away. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like one of those risk reward things. It's like, do you want to keep rolling this die? Do you want to keep doing it? <laughs> like how long do you want to keep doing it before it bites you? Yeah. Um, and it's kind of cool. It's, it's kind of a push your luck thing, but uh, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, definitely one thing that I'm going to do tomorrow and I'm not lying is probably go to my gaming store to see if by any chance they have the expansion and if not, well, might as well we order it because now I want to try it and, and try to see and experience that content. Going back, yeah. now now we go back to our sure. conversation before. You were mentioning, uh, go back to, we're going back to Jengon, right? Uh, that yeah, you, yeah. that when you bought Street Masters, you got rid of the boxes, right? And I mean, you basically compress everything into boxes. How did you yeah, did, inside at the time? Yeah, did did you throw those boxes away? The only the only question I'm, I'm asking, I did. because I did. and it was it was like against all of my like at that point in time in my board gaming <laughs> hobby life, that was like the worst thing I could have done. Like in my in my brain, it was the worst thing I could have done. It's I was like painful throwing these inserts out, throwing these boxes, and looking at it, and going. Oh, but if I was just home in Canada, I could just put these on my shelf. Yeah. <laughs> So I was going to ask you, like, do you usually throw boxes or not? Like, I because me, I keep almost everything, man, almost everything. Like, uh, it, it will hurt me. It, it, okay, well, I'll tell you this. So my mindset changed. So what I do is I try. I have a I have a studio where I'm doing like my filming and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. I have uh, which really is just a room. Uh, mm -hmm. I just call my studio. Um, and then I've got uh, some calic shelves, right? I've got a five by five and a four by four, mm -hmm. and then I have like a bookshelf on one side. That's it. It's all space I got. Um, mm -hmm. So I can probably keep my collection to about 100 games, not including expansions, right? Okay. At any given time. That's roughly the amount of space I've got. So I'm on a constant cycle. Like I, I basically have games that come in my collection. I know they're my favorites and they're going to stay there. And it's going to take a lot to move them into the cell pile mm -hmm. just due to space. Um, but I have to do it. So sometimes I literally have to sell things or get rid of things. But what happened this year, I realized, is I'm getting to a point now where I'm, I've got as the years go on, you realize you, you have more and more favorite games, quote unquote, right. Yeah. Which is the, mm -hmm. which is the constant struggle of like, Oh shoot. Now I, now I'm really making some painful decisions now because these are games I really like. And once they're gone, it means I got to rebuy them mm -hmm. if I want them back. And that's a whole pain. So I'm like, um, in terms of condensing things down, I used to do, I think what you're talking about, which is essentially you buy your games, you throw them on the shelf because they look pretty. And, uh, you know, like for instance, I got, uh, I'm trying to give a good example. Sure. What did I get recently from Kickstarter? I think I got, um, well, Marvel United came in. Um, yeah. That's a good example. Mm -hmm. um, that, I mean, that one, thankfully, is small enough that it all fits in one Calyx shelf slot. That's so I can true. get it all in yeah. there. And I'm like, well, that's weird because every other CMON Kickstarter usually goes two shelves if you mm -hmm. leave all the boxes the way they are. But I've gotten to the point now where if I do have expansion boxes or you get those cardboard boxes or anything like that, um, I do start merging them down inside. Um, unless, of course, I consider them my my like prize possessions. So games sure. that you're hearing on this list, for instance, I would 
it would I'd be very hard pressed to be crushing their stuff down. Mm-hmm. But for a game like this, War of Mine's a good example. You've got the base game box, you've got two expansions. You know, do I really want to have two expansion boxes just taking up space when I could probably mash most of it into the core box, if not, you know, at least one expansion in there. Mm-hmm. So when you get expansion boxes like that, I don't have a feeling of or a need to want to keep them. But mm-hmm. if I get something like, uh, I don't know, I already said Tainted Grail before, so I'll say it again. But if I get Tainted Grail as of right now, I don't, something inside me tells me not to merge things together there for yeah. whatever reason. And it might be because once you've spent a certain dollar amount in your brain, mm-hmm. you go, I don't want to ruin this. Yeah, no, and, <laughs> and I'm, then, I'm with but you. But if it's a game, it's a, if it's a collection of stuff, it's it's weird. And I think it's different for every person. I think it's like there's there's certain thresholds in your head where you go like, okay, yeah, I've spent this much money and eh, like if I lose the box and even if I had to resell it because I don't want to play it anymore, you know, no one's going to care that I merge the stuff together. Yeah. Uh, but then there's other ones you're like, yeah, that guy's going to probably care or that girl's going to care if I smash all this into one box and say, hey, you want to buy it? Like, they'll be like, thanks, but that's a mess. <laughs> I know, you know, you, you know, the only things that I throw away now that I'm thinking about it, it's, um, and this is usually happened with one uh, publisher, which is Fantasy Flight. I do. Oh, yeah. I do. That's a, that's a great example. That's actually a really good one. Yeah, yep. I do hate the inserts from Fantasy Flight because they're I think terrible. they're I terrible. They're pointless, <laughs> and those ones always I throw them away. But for example, when you have inserts from games that they actually you can tell that the publisher or the whoever did the project manager or the designer or whatever they put yeah. a lot of love on the game just when they put like inserts for every single thing then i love those ones but literally i when i throw things away even the awful inserts from fantasy flight i feel horrible man i feel like one part of my you know from my soul is going away it's going away and you know what actually you touched on the other you literally hit the other point like it, it, in my head it comes down to how much did you spend on the thing you're now destroying? Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah. the aspect of it. And the other aspect is how good is that insert that's already in there? Like those are, to me, those are the two things in my head. That I, and it's and it, sometimes it's, I'm really strong on the insert side and I don't care about how much I spent. It's just about, okay, if the insert's garbage, mm-hmm. I'm getting rid of it. Like you said, right? So that was, a, that's actually, a, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I was like, there was something beyond just this idea of spending a certain amount. Um, and I, and Simon's a good example because back in the day, used to buy Zombicide version, you know, season one, and it was a bunch of cardboard boxes inside the box. So -hmm. you go, okay, well, there's no room. I I couldn't even merge other things into this if I wanted to. I'd have to literally just have a box of minis if I wanted to smash all this down. Um, So your brain kind of goes, I don't have options here. Like, I don't even, I can't even merge this down. But then um, the most recent ones, or I shouldn't even say most recent, but like it's been going on for probably more than a year, year and a half now. But Simon's been actually surprisingly been doing a really good job of putting inserts in that you actually have a harder time getting rid of now. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the brutal thing about it is back then when I got like Zombicide season one way back, I used to go, you know what? Those boxes are really ugly. The heck with it. I'm going to merge all these Zombicide things into one box. It's going to be one giant pile of, uh, you know, I had Black Plague, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. I had everything's baggied up for all the different types in one box. And I was like, hey, we're done. <laughs> Happy. <laughs> Uh, but and, and that was perfectly fine because I knew the inserts were not that great and I wasn't planning on painting them. So I was like, whatever. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, like Bloodborne comes in and I'm like, oh, the boxes look so nice. The inserts are perfect for each expansion. Yeah. So now yeah. if I start chucking expansion inserts out and start merging them together, I now have to throw out the insert. Like if I'm trying to merge it all into the core box, which is the biggest. 
Yeah. It has an insert that's the best of all of mm-hmm. them. I agree. And now I'm just down to doing what I did before, which is everything just being dumped into a box <laughs> if I go that route, right? And that's where my brain starts going, oh, maybe I need to keep the boxes. And I struggle with that too. I have I have certain games that come in and I'm like, inside of me, I know what the right decision is, but I can't pull the trigger for some weird reason. And, and ha- then there's other games I'm just like, forget it. I don't care. These inserts are terrible. It's like Fantasy Flight for Mansions of Madness. I remember yeah. opening, and Lord of the Rings, or Journeys in Middle Earth. I remember mm-hmm. opening those boxes up and going... Thank you for the 50 pound or 50 uh, foot uh, wasted space of an insert here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to rip this thing out. And then literally (laughs) I was able to put all for Mansions of Madness. I took four or five expansion boxes, which is everything released to date. I think five or six. I put all of it inside the core box because of how much empty space there was when that insert was gone. Yeah. So now my entire Mansions of Madness is in the one box. And I have a separate shoe box kind of thing for just miniatures. I just dump all the miniatures in there um, and uh, and they're all in clear bases. And I just kind of store it, you know, sitting vertical and done or sitting horizontal and done. Which this one- and to me, that's that's the win. Like when I can do that for a game, I feel happy. Like when I can get everything crunched down into one box and I know that I don't care to have it in four or five expansion boxes like Mansions of Madness. Because, you know, also, you know, with Mansions of Madness, the way the game plays you can always add everything in, right? Mm-hmm, it's yeah. not like this war of mine where it's like, oh, shoot, I may not want that expansion in this time, but now it's all merged into one box, so I'm yeah. going to spend two hours trying to figure out what belongs with what. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's another aspect too, right, is how easy is it to to unpack it once you've jammed it all down to that one box? That's another whole aspect to think about. But yeah, it's, it's funny the silly things that we all have to deal with and think about when we're trying yeah. to store games but i go back to my original thought of i have a space for 100 core games and expansions for all those and then in order for me to hold on to the ones i love the most i need to start making tough decisions on crushing stuff down whether i like it or not it's, it's either that or i'm moving <laughs> it, it, it's hard and this will take us they will take us to another topic that i want to address after we hear your number four so after we hear oh. number four we're going to come back and we're going to start to talk about inserts which that's another topic that i want to touch base with you which one my dear friend adam is your number four surprise me uh, because i'm i'm here at the at the border of my chair just waiting to to listen to to keep listening to at least Okay, so my number four is Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. Okay. Uh, I don't have Gloomhaven in this list anymore. I think okay. it used to be in there. Um, it would have been one I would have said was my favorite, but I think this one has fully replaced it. I think this is the version that, you know, if it hadn't needed to go to Kickstarter the first time to, to bring it to life as well as it did, um, mm-hmm. that this is the this is the iteration that I that I connect with the best. And there's so many reasons for it. Um, the biggest one is, like I mentioned with the this war of mine, is the the learn to play while you're playing style like yeah. is phenomenal. Uh, I play, I play, I already knew how to play the game prior to this coming out, obviously. And the Jaws of the Line is set prior, like it's a prequel. It's it's before um, Gloomhaven, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess it's not obvious to maybe everybody, but. Um, the cool thing about it is if you're new to the whole thing, you can just jump into Jaws of the Lion and it will walk you through five scenarios and it will layer the learning on as you go. So you're not just like, again, you're not just like overwhelmed with a ton of different conditions and icons and all kinds of things you need to keep track of. So for that reason, I was, I, I love it. The other reason is 
I like it at different player counts. I know that sounds like a sin because I, I focus on solo gaming, but it's for me, even with my friends, I found that teaching this game to them is so much easier. And the entry point in is now easy because again, this is at retail too, right? Yeah. So this is one of those games that I think like transcended our special, uh, our modern board game hobby in terms of being accessible to people that aren't into board games. Yeah. And I think it also resolved a lot of issues people had with Gloomhaven. Like, not necessarily if they didn't like if they didn't like the actual gameplay of Gloomhaven in terms of how it played. Then you can't. This is, Jaws Line is not going to solve that. Mm-hmm. But in terms of how it's presented and also how quickly it can be put on the table, set up, played, stored away, done, gone, it's exponentially better. Like it's it's off the charts better. And if if they could redo the original Gloomhaven in a book form. They should totally do it because <laughs> it is so much less painful to manage. And uh, I love the idea that you can like literally, and it's probably going to start how ha- I would not be the least bit surprised if, I mean this and Jaws of Lion was not the first to do this, um, but you see like sleeping gods coming out. Right. And this has obviously been something that like Ryan Lockett's been doing for ages. Yeah. Um, but you, those spiral bound books, like they're going to become a thing. Like it's going to, it's going to transition at a certain point where, you know, and it, and it it's not to say it's going to be like a, you know, a, a massive change. Um, board games are still going to have a board in most cases, but I think for these games that are narrative driven or they're, you're talking like a giant adventure experience or RPG style kind of game, that kind of thing, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing easier than putting it all together into a book that you can then have full control over what's actually displayed versus broken up tiles all over the place. Yeah. Um, the only thing you lose by going that route design wise is that, uh, well, if you got broken up tiles, you got a little bit more flexibility in your creation of, of, uh, your gameplay and stuff. And your, your scenario is going to change every time you play it. So maybe replayability takes a, a pretty decent knock there. Yeah. Uh, but I, I love like Jaws line. I'm, I've played it through playing it through with friends right now as well online, of course, because there's no other way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I really enjoy it. Like I just do, and I'm a huge fan of Hatchet. I did a, a playthrough it on the channel, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know. I just I play Gloomhaven and uh, the the big beast that it was from Kickstarter, and I got I think halfway through. I think I restarted the single campaign like I don't know six, seven, eight times. So I probably went from like you know the first scenario to the twentieth scenario probably six or seven times. I had one that maybe went all the way up to like fifty something. Wow. Um, I played it enough, but I never got to the end of it because it just, it like, again, obviously I have restrictions because I'm creating content. So like time is a problem. Sure. Um, but still, it's just like, it felt like too much of a behemoth. Like I don't need, I, I would love to see a poll on how many people actually finished Gloomhaven. Like, cause if you did, you deserve a badge of honor. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> yeah. It's a huge undertaking to finish that thing. Um, but I think the Jaws of the Lion is just so much more approachable because I, I sat down with friends even, right? And friends beyond solo adds time, right? And we were able to get through, I think uh, we were now in the seventh one, I think, right now. And I think we did that within, I think we were about an hour per scenario. Okay. So we spent seven hours or eight hours and, and we're where we're at right now. And it's like, so then when you say, oh, there's 20, I think, there, if I'm not mistaken, I believe there's 25 in the in the. 25 scenarios in the box but you're kind of going oh we we can actually finish that like we're, there's actually a chance we could actually see the end of the story here yeah so <laughs> the problem with Gloomhaven was like the light was so far down the tunnel 
you were like, okay, like who's still wanting to commit to, you know, you know, the next scenario 66 or whatever. And you're like, <laughs> like, I know, I know. Like at that point you've kind of already worn it thin. So I think this for me was like a, a big win. Um, I could also, huh, there's other ones. There's other games that are like this that I would, depending on the day flip flop in and out on, like I would say that this wouldn't be in this list and something else would be right. This yeah. is kind of like, for me, this fits the niche of the like, Oh, okay. Uh, this, you know, you're looking for like a dungeon crawler kind of thing. And I just, I love the idea of like no dice. I love the idea that it's all card play and it's really like strategic puzzly. So it's kind of got that. Um, and it's not in comparison to mage night at all, but it has that kind of mentality of like, I need to be efficient. I can't just screw around. I can't just run around the dungeon mm-hmm. picking up every piece of loot just because it's there. And that's so different than every other dungeon crawler. Most dungeon crawlers are kind of like, yeah, there's a time limit, but it's pretty loose. And, uh, and you know, or sometimes there's none at all and you can literally just go nuts. Right. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, I totally agree with you. And actually, looking at the board game geek uh, for the you know technical specifications of the game, I guess uh, rank overall it's number six. This one is on the number six rank overall from uh, the whole uh, database. Thematic and number three, and it's a number five of strategy. It's uh, has a rating of eight point eight, which I would totally agree with you. This war of mine should it be closer to this, not at seven point eight. Um, and uh, once again, it's a game from 2020. It's retail. You can find it anywhere in the United States. It sells around, uh, you know, 40 American dollars, somewhere around there. Um, one to four players, uh, 30 to 120 minutes playing time each episode, of course. And it has uh, 20, 25 scenarios that you can play through uh, if you like over and over and over. But even if you even if you think about it, just like you're listening to Adam, I mean, the replayability is there for sure. But let's just say that you will play it only one time, the story, and that's it. You will still get 25 plays out of a 40-ish American dollars game. So that's a you're lot. Bang on. That's yeah. a lot. Uh, comparing to what sometimes we spend, uh, Adam, on, on Kickstarters, like $300 or $250, whatever. And some in some of those cases, you just play it once or twice a year, and that's it. Uh, so there's a there's a huge amount of replayability here, and it's actually one of my favorite games as well. I think I haven't finished it, but uh, I did paint Hatchet, and I paint the other character, the one that um, looks like a like a devil with chains. What's his name? Oh, uh, uh, the Red Guard. The Red Guard. I paint those yeah. two, and I was playing it solo with those two characters, and I think I'm in chapter. Eight or nine, I believe. Nice. So we're uh, getting we're we're pretty close to where we're at with ours right now too. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. And, and I, th- I think you're right though. Like replayability wise, it's like it's. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's one that necessarily needs to be played more than once. I think I think you literally should just play it through. Especially if you're doing it in a solo capacity, which is like sure. how I you know ninety nine percent of the time of playing my games. You, you for forty fifty bucks or whatever to to be able to play this thing straight through to the end. It's it's worth every penny. Yeah, it's definitely. <laughs> you worth don't necessarily it. need to replay it again, uh, and mm-hmm. obviously the story does become revealed to the point that you you know you're not going to see a different scenario or a different story pan out um, mm-hmm. with this one, which might be the only con in comparison to Gloomhaven, where you still see the beginning and the end every time you play the game. But at least with the Kickstarter version, Gloomhaven the Beast, you could the path to get to the end could unlock differently depending on how you play it, right? There's that mm-hmm. difference, I think, with yeah. that one versus this. But this mm-hmm. this does have unlocking paths as well. It's just not as ridiculous. 
Yeah, <laughs> highly recommended, especially if you don't own any, uh, you know, if you don't own Gloomhaven. Now it's Frostheaven coming on from Kickstarter, which at this point I backed it. I'm pretty sure you probably did as well, Adam. And at this point, after playing Jaws, I don't oh, know. Yeah, yeah. You know what's really funny? I completely forgot about Frosty. <laughs> yeah. So it's really funny. Like that hasn't like it's it's like slipped my mind that there's another behemoth coming. So, but now I, I don't know what to feel. I don't know if I did the right choice by backing that one. I mean, just because well, it's uh, the one thing I will say from playing the prototype mm-hmm. is that I really, really liked that they actually made the in-between the scenario system like situation so much okay. better than what it was before because I found. I found all you really were doing in between scenarios before was like, okay, yep, you can upgrade your deck. So that's the coolest part is like, okay, I got a new, you know, modifier card that comes in my deck. I might see it once every, you know, you know, game or something like this or twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you know, to change a couple things about your character here and there, but I think they're focused now on the, on the world, like actually having some changing impacts on okay. top of your character is going to add more reason to come back because you might, you might then care a little bit extra than you would normally. Um, so if you're playing with a group or you're playing by yourself, you're going to go, oh, okay, well, like I want to play because I want to unlock that next thing for my town because that opens up some new items or some new access to different things I can craft. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there's all these other little elements they added in with this one that that might have honestly probably were, was in his scope with Gloomhaven back in the day, but just because it was like the first time he was kicking at the can with mm-hmm. Kickstarter, he probably was like, I probably shouldn't throw everything or every thought in because the game would just be, you know, ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. It was already insane as it was, but yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure yet. It's, it's hard to tell from a prototype, especially when you're talking about a game is probably going to have like 90 to hundred scenarios, like how it's actually going to feel. Yeah. Um, but-, but I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah, I but also, like, not only that, like, you think you just, I mean, like you were mentioning a little bit ago, especially on the content creator aspect, or even even if you're not a content creator, like, you know, like, if well, a lot of you amazing listeners that, you know, they're not content creators, even that, like, when you say 120 or something in scenarios, <laughs> and you are in this hobby, I mean, come on, I mean, chances are that there's no way, unless you literally... Uh, you know, that's the toughest thing. That's the hardest thing that I have is like, from my perspective is like, it's like, I just know, like trying to find time to finish it is almost impossible. It, it is impossible. It like is. I literally have to be like, okay, guys, I'm done for three weeks, maybe four. Mm-hmm. Uh, see ya. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> I'm, taking, I'm taking off like, you know, Christmas and I'm just going to disappear off the planet and, and finish this. Cause there's just no way to finish that much content in one run. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, but I mean, to be totally honest, I still have that problem today. Like, there's still that issue of like, you know, if you're creating content for people to watch or you're talking about it or reviewing it, whatever you're doing, um, you know, you're always taking away from your game time. And really, you're making your your one play that you get to, to create that content mm-hmm. takes six to eight times longer than normal. <laughs> yes, you're sure. spending that one, that one play you got now extends yeah. multiple days. Whereas somebody who just puts it on their table and plays, it might get that same game in like six or seven times yeah, <laughs> in the same true. amount. Yeah. And for example, now what I was talking about Frost, Frost Heaven is that after experiencing Jaws of the Lion, I'm like, man, I wish, you know, the next projects from uh, Isaac uh, Charters, which is the designer, I wish the next project could be something like this, something more, 
you know, epic, but at the same time, you know, like bite size, something yeah. that's like, yeah, you, yeah. you can, no, I agree with you. And I think, I think that's why this one lands on my list. And the reason I kind of swiped Gloomhaven off um, in the years that it won all its awards and stuff, I was certainly thinking it was, and I, and I, the other reason I was attached to Gloomhaven is I think I did like 130 videos on the channel in the mm-hmm. first year or two of the channel starting. So I had a pretty big attack. Like it happened to come out right when I was starting my solo gaming channel. So it, it has an attachment to me that way because I actually did play an insane amount of it um, on and off camera mm-hmm. and really did enjoy it. Um, but I knew it was something that I couldn't continue doing. Like it's like, I mean, <laughs> how, do you, how do you cover how do you cover a game that's that large? Like if Frosty, you know, Frosty is going to show up and stuff like this. And it's like, how do you actually, and even for the reviewers, it's like same. like, that's one of the things that always blows my mind is I'm just like, you know, how does a reviewer even review a game like that? Like, yeah, no, there's no, you way. know, and, and how long do you have to wait before you've actually got the full understanding? Or are you just basically opening up the final page of the campaign book, reading it and going, Oh mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> that's and, what happens. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you know what, like going like, of course, you know, in every time that I review, or that I do an episode on the episode, I focus yeah. it to one game and, you know, I said, yeah. I talk about that game for the whole episode. So for me, I, I have the same feeling like you, like when I review a game, I try to at least, you know, if it's not a campaign game, if it's just like one shot, I try to yeah, play it at least exactly. three or four times or whatever and solo. And then, you know, I bring my wife or friends or whatever to give it a try to get that feeling of, a, you know, with more players. But with these epic games, I mean, the only thing that it comes to my mind that I can kind of relate is like Sleeping Gods recently, right? So I mean, I'm like in the, my gameplay because it's not even by chapter. So you're just playing and you can pause it and keep going the next day or whenever. Um, so I think it's like I'm, I played that game already like eight times and I'm probably like not even at 50% of the story. But let's say <laughs> if I review it right now, it probably will give my impressions to what I think so far. But then since I don't know what's going to happen, I don't know if the game can go south you know after that and probably everything will change or whatever and my impressions will change so it, it's really tough like i totally agree with you when i see people like they when they do like the reviews of this game that has such and such and such amount of scenarios it's like yes you probably can do a review of the idea of the game and the mechanics that you experience on the first playthrough or second playthrough but in reality it's not a whole review because i mean you, you see what i'm saying like you don't you, you didn't get the feeling no, and you're, the you're right thing. like that that whole review like it's it's so tough too and you also have to give leeway too because obviously mm-hmm. like you you play the first five scenarios of gloomhaven let's say or something like that you've got the gist of the mechanic you've got enough in your back pocket to to speak to it and say like yep this is how it plays this is the mechanics of it obviously when you unlock a new character uh, there might be something new that you never saw that might throw into the mix, or maybe it's just the fact that a couple abilities change and that's pretty much it. Right. Like, and that's the hard thing with these campaign games. You don't know if like at a certain point, the mechanics change, mm-hmm. like based on how much you've played, because the rule book only tells you how much is going on from the start. Yeah. And then, and then it always says something in the rule book, like, well, if there's a card that's, you know, that says something that the rule book doesn't say, go with the card right or something like this right or some kind of lingo around that just yeah. to basically cover their butts so that they can pretty much throw in wrenches during the campaign and then you'll be like oh wow i didn't see that coming yeah. um and they'll change up your gameplay mm-hmm. but uh yeah that that review the review thing is it's a tough one because it, it's different than any other uh it's different than any other um 
uh, industry in terms of like reviewing movies or or, or video games. Yeah. Like in terms of a movie, it's like okay, so I watch a movie from start to finish. I I, I grasp what I watched. I maybe watch it a second time to make sure I didn't miss anything. Got it. This is not going to change. I keep watching this a thousand times over. The contents is still exactly the same. So mm-hmm. I can speak to this and be bang on, at least I hope, right? Yeah. Um, and of course, I don't review, but this is what a reviewer's mindset would be like. And then in video games, it's like, yep, I can play the game front to back, maybe replay it front to back. There's time consumption in there to get to the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most video games are not a gloom haven. <laughs> like, yeah. Like the amount of hours you need to put into a gloom haven is kind of like, you know, a World of Warcraft kind of comparison, like yeah. in terms of trying to understand you know, what is actually happening in this world and how do I sum this up? Um, mm-hmm. So for those types of reviews in my mind, it always ends up being kind of like a, my initial thoughts. It, yeah. it really, that's what it is. It's just like, here's my impressions. Yeah. It's that's not basically. a review. Because so, if you haven't actually played the thing all the way through to the end, then it's it, technically not a review because you actually don't even know how it ends in the first place. And like you said, maybe by the end of it, you're so bored. <laughs> like, yeah. You never want to see that thing again. Right. And yeah. you wouldn't have known that unless you played it to the end. But at the very beginning, you thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I totally uh, agree. And talking about reviewers, do you have, do you, well, when the, you, you content, of course you do, you, you do, you create your content, but if you consume content, which that will be the other question, like, do you consume content? Do you, do you follow any channels? Like, I don't know, do you follow your uncle and watch it play? Or do you have any other, or other channels that you follow? And in terms of reviewers, do you have a favorite reviewer that you like to, you know, that you feel like you can, you can trust or kind of, uh, you know, relate to in their, in their, you know, cup of tea of games or do you have one in particular? Huh. That's an interesting one. So for, in terms of watching content, I definitely do. I don't Mm -hmm. think anyone doesn't watch content. I I like do the same thing you mentioned earlier where it was like, you know, you go to bed late at night you're like, I probably should go to sleep. And then you (laughs) turn on your phone and you start watching something. And then next thing you know, three hours have gone by and you're like, wow, I'm going to be in pain tomorrow. (laughs) Um, So I've done the same thing myself. Um, But in terms of like a, it's weird because for me, and this is something I stayed away from when, uh, when I started rolling solo was that I, I was never, I never understood. um, And this goes across everything, really video games, movies, whatever. I never understood the benefits beyond a quick glance of reviews. Like I always liked reviews from the standpoint of the people's opinion. So in other words, if I could go to IMDb for a movie and quickly see that the majority of people that actually consumed that show or movie rated a seven. So in other words, I could go to board game geek Mm -hmm. and take a look at the score and go, ah, Jaws line is 8.8. Okay. So that means it's people are, is well received. Like it's probably not gonna be a flop. If I put my money here, Mm -hmm. I'll get something I'm going to enjoy. But the one thing I found with reviewers that I, I, I couldn't, that just never clicked with me was, when I first started out in the hobby was I would, I would find reviewers that I liked, or I thought I matched up with them, you know, in terms of their, their likes and dislikes, mm-hmm. but I still would get, I would still buy based on their thoughts and, or sorry, based on their reviews and what I thought I might like. Um, but then I would get duds more off, you know, like it'd, it'd be kind of a coin toss. It'd be like, sometimes it would be bang on. You'd be like, yes, this is exactly what I thought. You know, this person mentioned this, this, and this, and this is exactly what I think this game is going to be like. You get it on the table, you play it, you're like, that review was perfect. It's exactly, you know, explained everything perfectly well. This is, you know, there's no surprises here. Um, And there's other reviews you watch and you're just like, did this person even play the game? Or did they just like quickly start it, get about one play in and then just chuck a review out? You're like, and 
that that was the hardest thing for me. It was not like the number of plays, but the wrench that gets thrown in when you bank on another human to tell you what to do for yeah. yourself yeah, is yeah. what was where my brain breaks down. <laughs> like, so it's like, there's nothing wrong with it in my opinion. Cause it's, obviously you're going to find people you're like, I think I align with this individual mm-hmm. and what this person likes. And so, you know, more often than not, we're going to be in alignment on what we like. So I could probably buy everything he recommends or she recommends and I'll be perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, but you know, full well, there's going to be duds though. Like it's going to happen. You're going to, you're going to pull a game out with that person said, this was good. And you're like that, that just didn't do it for me this time. That's going to the cell pile. Yeah. <laughs> like, and so for me, what I found was that was happening too much. Like my, my, it might've been like a 70, 30 split. So 70% of the time it was bang on perfect. The game was kept. I liked it. 3% of the time I ended up selling it. So then eventually I said, what if I just stopped watching reviews? Like what if I just watched playthroughs and, and literally just tried to see, whether I like the way the game flows and it mm-hmm. plays. Yeah. And then once I started doing that, though, you know, I realized, Oh, okay. So like I'm purchasing games now based on these playthroughs I'm watching, they're coming in. I'm not, I'm getting the game to the table and I'm going, well, of course this is the exact experience I just watched. Yeah. So I know this is going to work for me because I watched it happen. I didn't <laughs> have to hear about it in some side conversation or at a high level review. Mm-hmm. And the duds disappeared. I don't li- like, I literally don't get games now or I don't spend money. I should say on games that are going to come to my house that I ever have a risk of having to sell instantly after playing. <laughs> like it doesn't happen anymore. And it all changed when I stopped banking on reviews. And uh, it's not to say reviews are bad. It just, I realized that it added an element of risk to what I was doing when I decided whether a game was for me or not. Sure. It was like, sure, I can bank on that person because I like them for their personality or what they do, but you're still risking it. Like you're still putting your money out there and there's still that chance it might not line up when you get it to the table. Yeah. Or what they found to be really annoying is actually something you really liked, uh, you know, mm-hmm. once you got playing it. And so that's that's kind of where for me I kind of said, you know what? The reviewer thing, I and I think that was around like th- this was probably I don't know, it was probably a couple months before I started the channel. Because that was one of the reasons why I started the channel was I was going, there's too many reviewers. Like there's way too many reviewers and Mm -hmm. our hobby was way too one-sided on. We need to review this, review that good, bad, good, bad all the time. There was not enough playthroughs happening. There was not enough. Like, can I see this game in action to make a choice? And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of why I started my channel. Cause I was going, I want to see this type of content. I want to see a game played. Cause to me, that is how I decide for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of, and I think that's why a lot of people start creating content in general is they're kind of trying to fill a void that is missing. Right. Like they're mm-hmm. usually going like, yeah, I get it. This is here. It's being covered. It's being hit a thousand times over. But what about this? Like nobody's mm-hmm. doing this. Yeah. And I agree because once again, you, you, you touch an important aspect that sometimes I, and of course there was tons of people playing playthroughs too. It wasn't to say like, no, 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 I no, no, invented no. the playthroughs. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I'm trying to say, but I'm just saying like from a solo perspective, yeah, there wasn't a lot of solo playthroughs happening. And if there were, they weren't in the limelight of anyone. Um, I actually, I shouldn't say that. Cause I think, um, I shouldn't say that at all, actually, because uh, Ricky, I was watching Ricky, Ricky Royal. Royal I, yeah, I wasn't love saying Ricky stuff. Royal, yeah. Uh, he's him, and I mean, obviously, Rod's an inspiration to me, uh, mm-hmm. just because he's my uncle and stuff like that, and he kind of took off with this thing, but he doesn't focus on solo, although he's, it seems like he's starting to dabble in it on his channel now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Ricky Royal was probably my my 
solo inspiration going like he's the only like in in my opinion at that time i was literally going he's the only well-known solo playthrough Mm -hmm. that i know of like if you were going to say like who's the person that you go to for solo playthroughs that's the only like that would be the popular option yeah there is a bunch of other options but he was the one that was surfacing higher than everybody else and i was going how come how come there's so many multiplayer playthrough channels tons of them but there's only one good solo playthrough channel like why i know i know and, and he was <laughs> no actually, sense he was <laughs> actually understand. the first one that i started to when i got into the hobby too like he was the first one that i started to follow and i still yeah. i still have very good memories of watching his playthroughs either from pathfinder the card game i remember where he was giving oh, yeah, he yeah. was giving a class at the beginning of what a role player game was and all the stuff and uh arkham horror the first edition you know uh, I remember watching him like he used like just like you like he used to buy like uh, the videos in six parts seven parts just because the games were too long and yeah. I remember like a movie Adam you know just like watching the first part and then second part third part four like it was great and then of course as you mentioned more content creators came and they started to do the playthroughs which is something very positive for the hobby now just to finalize the review part I do agree mm-hmm. with you in the aspect of for example, of course, we're not going to mention names or anything like that, but, uh, you know, there's there's some bigger reviewers out there, and I will say bigger because they're the ones that get the, the, the bigger audience and all the stuff. Um, yeah, that I don't yeah. have I don't have to mention, but some of them uh, sometimes they don't like games just because of the theme. Going back to this war of mind, right? For example, one of those reviewers I was uh, listening probably like or watching better yeah, say two, two one or two years ago, where they were yeah. not very appealing to the game because of the theme. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that okay, probably the theme is is not appealing to you because whatever you want to call it, but probably for me the theme works great and and in in the game it's like you mentioned a masterpiece so i think that's the risky you're completely right on that of you know of um people uh, reviewing anything like me personally when i do a review i try to keep it uh, you know as as um how to say it as neutral as possible and not having any bias, regardless of how much money I spend on a game, or if I got it for free from a publisher or not, and just basically, you know, hear my thoughts. And I always say this: like reviewing, it's a very subjective thing. Like I can and like I can. And, and the thing is, and and you're bang on because it's like I think people, like it's not like people aren't savvy enough to know that. Um, with anything in terms of playthroughs, reviews, whatever content gets put out, you yeah. still have to take everything with a grain of salt and make sure that it works for you. Right. At the end of the yeah. day, um, like for, for me, it's the funny thing is too, is like maybe, maybe the way I mentioned the review stuff makes it sound like I don't like watch or, you know, consider any review stuff to be valid or worth <laughs> anyone's time kind of thing. But no, that's, that's not kind of the picture I'm trying to paint. Uh-huh. It's, it's more so from, for me, it's just that I found that I, I'd rather make sure that every purchase I make is a, is a home run versus mm-hmm. the risk of it not being a home run. Um, so for me to knock that you know risk down, I found that just focusing on the playthrough. So in terms of watching something start to finish, I would watch a playthrough all the way through. Yeah. Sometimes if a playthrough doesn't give me what I need, then I'll go to a review. Like, so, and, and that happens very rarely now these days because there's so many playthroughs out there, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can usually find what you need to find for a certain game. So reviews still have, still have merit for sure, but it's just the, the, I'm, I'm probably not the norm in that I don't go review first, playthrough second. It's playthrough first, 
if I get what I need from that, I don't need to hear anyone else's opinion. I'm sure. good because I'm happy. Yeah. But then if I watch the playthrough and I go, eh, this didn't really show me everything I needed to see to make a choice. Okay, let's go to the opinion thing and see if the opinion can kind of push me one way or the other. Then yeah, that makes for me that would make sense, and I've done that too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's kind of where I see the huge value in reviews is kind of like as a as almost reinforcement of your initial thoughts in your head. Yeah. Kind of thing, right? and, and so it's I find it's better to go in with a blank slate, make your own you know thoughts from what you see of the game in action, whether you can play it at a board game cafe or you watch somebody play it on YouTube or whatever. Yeah. Um, or from a friend or something like that. And then after you've got your mind made up to a certain extent, then you go to the review and you go, is this lining up with my mindset or is it not? And then, then you have a much more sound, you know, choice when it comes to a Kickstarter and stuff. Completely um, true. And, and there's yeah. all, there's all kinds of other paths I could open up on this one. <laughs> go for it. Go, for <laughs> we'll go it. down. Like I would talk about reviews on Kickstarters and all kinds of other stuff. I'm not going to go down that road. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Come on. Let's, let's that, do it. That, that's a road that I would love. Like we could talk, maybe we can talk about it after we get through or maybe in between the next one. I don't know if we've already gone too okay. far with the, Let's this ju- one, but yeah, I, I would, I wouldn't mind talking about that too. Cause I've always found that to be super strange to me. Um, was just the idea of a, of a, if a game is coming out and it's in development and it's, you know, raising funds on, on Kickstarter to, to come out yeah that a review would actually be a part of the equation. Like that to me is very confusing. Uh, and it maybe it's more of the wording of it versus what the content actually is. Like the content's probably fine, mm-hmm. but it's probably the fact that it's being classified as a review. Yeah. Is what's confusing. It's almost like you realize your review is not evergreen, right? Like the second <laughs> you've made that review, the Kickstarter finishes, that review might as well be deleted because mm-hmm. when the game comes out, it's going to be somewhat bang on to your review, but then also completely different. <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> and and you might have a completely different interpretation, but guess what? Your video is staying on the internet forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's, it's like that, that, that's true. It, it can it throws. There are pros and cons to that. It can make games that are bad seem better, and it can make games that are good seem worse. And it's like, and sometimes you can be perfectly. Uh, you know, there's lots of games that hit Kickstarter. They're eighty percent done. So mm-hmm. sometimes a review is bang on, or it's if it's a reprint. In my opinion, have. Uh, definitely have a review like if gloomhaven's come back for the second printing there should be five thousand reviews on that kickstarter Except, page yeah. so people can make a, a decision yeah um but if it's brand new it's like wait a minute should mm-hmm. it be like a first impressions <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, i completely agree let's go to let's go to number three because we're gonna yeah. go down that path and then oh, I, ha- I haven't i haven't forget that we need to talk about inserts <laughs> so we're gonna go there number three of them hit it all right, so number three, this is another one that uh, hooked its claws into me um, because I love it for so many different reasons, um, and that is Nemesis. Yes, it is. It is, yeah, it is yeah. lodged into me, and uh, this, yes. so the way I thought about this list when I was putting mm-hmm. it together was like, if heaven forbid, if everything burnt down around me, <laughs> like yeah. in my games room, what are the five games that I would either save or hope that were still there? Yeah. Um, you know, the, these are the five essentially, um, that I would try to rebuild my collection from. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, Nemesis, um, for me, the reason I like it so much is the first, I remember, oh man, I, I, I mess this up so bad. So I, I got the Kickstarter the first time it came mm-hmm. in, looked at the box. Um, this is embarrassing to say, but I had never seen aliens all the way. Oh through. my um, God. Oh so my I God. had just gotten the Kickstarter. 
I never got exposed to aliens. My parents were, you know, they're very much like they would have never exposed me to alien when I was a child. Okay. They would have never done that to me. <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved it if they had told me it was a great movie and I should see it at some point, but they just never did. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of slipped between the cracks and I never saw it. But I saw this game on Kickstarter and it's Awakened Realms and it's tied to a couple of things that I've seen from them that I've liked and stuff. So I was like, oh, this looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so sure enough, the game comes in. I, I, I'm working on other stuff on the channel. I take the game, I jam it on the shelf. It's still sealed and I leave it there for eight wow. months. Eight months. Wow. I let it sit there sealed. You're, you're, <laughs> a, you're a crazy man. Yeah, you're crazy, dude. You're crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, I am crazy. So. Because that's <laughs> so the... it's, it's sitting there and I'm like, this is, I'm like, weird. Like the box cover looks so cool and like, I'm sure it'd be fine. It can't mm-hmm. be that hard to learn. Yeah. So I, I had my, um, I had my, uh, my, uh, my oh man, I'm gonna mess this up. It's my wife's sister's mm-hmm. son over, um, okay. and stuff like this. And I was kind of like, Wow, well, what kind of game could I play with him that he might be interested in, like theme wise? It'd be kind of cool or whatever. So I was like looking through my shelf, and I'm like, Oh, Nemesis, it's still sealed though. I don't even know how to play it. And uh, so I like, <laughs> I, I'm like, Okay, let's do this. So I, I cut it open and I, I put it all on the table, and I'm like, This looks really good. I'm like, <laughs> How long is this? And then, then that's when I realized how long it had been sitting on my shelf. And I was like, Okay, okay, like it looks good, but I really hope it actually plays good because that would be sad. Um, but its table presence was already kind of like, Oh, this is cool. Um, and so I, I had to play, I had to play through it to learn the rules myself. So I played it solo before he came over, right? Just sure. to get a gist of what's going on. Um, but there's so many different ways to play it because you can play it like true solo, you can play it cooperatively, which means you can technically also play it solo, which is my preferred way. It's kind of confusing. Mm-hmm. I, re- I remember trying to do videos on this too and explaining that, and people are like, What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> you can play it true solo versus co op solo versus multiplayer. Like, okay, now you're just getting me lost here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's many different ways to play it, which is one of the reasons. Okay, so now is where things starts to go south. With the quality, <laughs> I had the technical difficulties they, they begin with, like I told you on the beginning. But let's keep going with the show. Bear with me. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, and you're enjoying it, I'm sorry. Episode 100 of Solo BG Podcast. Alrighty, friends. So as you can probably hear, we have some technical difficulties on my end. But we're going to keep going with the episode. And Adam, you were telling us all about Nemesis. I think we were at the part where you were talking about the difference between the solo and the co-op version, which it doesn't matter too much. Um, I guess since we're doing the you do the co-op, which is basically playing like solo, but then exactly. you you were telling us that then you play the game finally after the eight months and tell us about the game because you know I, that's one game that I wait that's the one that I'm waiting for the Kickstarter that I want to say that that will be my holy grail. Uh, I went all in and I just cannot wait to receive the whole thing and give it a try because I have watched your videos and I have watched other content creator videos as well. And that's a game that I'm so looking forward to play and try and have a blast with it. And hopefully, it will be my holy grail of solo games. Yeah, it's it's one that like it's one that it was, is going to stick around. Like I will never sell this game. <laughs> like I just know. Okay. Um, this will be around in my collection for a long time, and it's um, you know one of the major reasons I like it. Like I said, was kind of just that I like how many different ways you can enjoy it and when you play it solo you can you can play it uh you know if you have the campaign booklets right that they have for it as well you kind of can have a story almost like a comic style story to what's going on on top of it so you can play it for the game that it is without that and and just enjoy the idea of trying to survive essentially and win the game um but it seems like every different way to play nemesis adds different elements that make the game 
unique and fun for that play, like for that, uh, you know, for that player count, for instance. So when we, when I played uh, like the trader mechanic, or I should say the semi-cooperative, you know, mindset of this game when you're playing with other people is really cool because you're also playing it, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to achieve your objectives, uh, corporate, personal. And then of course, once one of the aliens shows up on the board, you have to choose between one of those two. And then of course, you're going to help your teammates to a certain extent, but then eventually when it gets down to it, you need to survive. So you might screw them over. Um, if you're playing solo, you're just trying to survive on your own and you can play it like true solo by yourself, or you can play it like a cooperative style where you're controlling multiple characters um there's just so much to like of this game because it, it always builds this weird tension that you never feel like you're restrict like you never feel like there's um that you're not progressing you're always uh able to do quite a bit on your turn each time but it's it's not as much as you'd like to do so it it probably it always makes you want to you, you can't wait for your turn to come back around again because you you can plan your your turns or your strategy and have like two or three turns in advance in your head as to what you're trying to accomplish. And then as you're trying to accomplish that goal, the game's throwing wrenches at you. And uh, obviously the aliens are part of that. They can be coming out of corridors and popping out of like, uh, you know, different areas that you weren't expecting. Um, so you might think you've got it in the bag, for instance, and you're kind of like, yeah, I'm doing a really good job of controlling noise on the board. I, you know, I'm purposely placing the noise in certain spots so that they're not going to, it's not going to, they don't hit me or affect me as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but then of course the game just throws a wrench at you and, and all of a sudden next thing you know, he's got, you got an alien to deal with on top of the fact you're trying to, you know, repair an engine <laughs> or something. Sure. And uh, it's just, there's the other thing I like about it too, is just how many, how many win conditions are connected to it and loss conditions. Like there's so many ways for the thing to pan out. So it you never feel like you're kind of, you're, you're not forced into a choice until things get down to the wire. And then you realize you only do have one option, right? Yeah. Like you have multiple options throughout the gameplay, but they start to whittle down and it's really just your own brain recognizing this is not going to work anymore. Like trying to get the escape pod when there's aliens all around it, not a good idea. <laughs> so maybe now I need to go to the bridge and make sure the ship actually makes it home so that I can actually win the game. Right. And then you should yeah. be trying to keep the whole ship from imploding on itself. And that becomes your strategy. Um, and, and then, you know, there's just, and then of course you can go into like cryo sleep and stuff. There's other ways to pull off uh, cool wins, but uh, there's just as many ways for things to go sideways too. It's It's so much fun. Now the new and, and I mean I'll I'll quickly touch on lockdown mm-hmm. because lockdown like I don't I've only played the the preview of it but from what I what I seen in the preview uh, playing it digitally I was really impressed that they didn't just take Nemesis for what it is as the core game and just rehash it like in other words they didn't just say okay here's a different ship style right it's like you know um, the the board itself is completely different it, you're moving through like a whole like just the design behind it and the elevator and the power element that's going on and in keeping power on or off and having it to actually be a problem <laughs> so <laughs> you might power the elevator and be like yes i'm getting to where i need to go and then all of a sudden something shuts the power off and now you're stuck on the floor that the alien is sitting inside of and you're kind of freaking out going like how do i get out of here yeah. um those kind of moments are are what make I think this game really thematic and fun um, because instead of it being like, Oh, I'm playing through a game that's trying to punish me. It's like, you're just, you're almost like you're watching a movie play out, but you're the, you're the star. You're kind of like the one who's trying to pull off the win. 
And so for that reason and a bajillion other ones, uh, I'm a huge fan of this game. And I sincerely regret leaving this on my uh, my shelf for eight months. And I even said that in my first playthrough. I was like, I was a fool to get this on the doorstep and just shove it on the tape on the on the calyx and walk away because <laughs> that was a bad life decision it's crazy because for example like i mentioned i've been waiting for this game for so long and one of the first things that i'm gonna do as soon as i get it is literally try to play it and a blast with it and the yeah. fact and the, the way of thinking I, I try to i'm trying to imagine right now in your game room that you had it there for eight months on open it it's <laughs> it's just it's just unconceivable, my friend. I deserve an open-handed slap. <laughs> yeah, it, when, when I see you and, and the next Gen Con... Yeah, I, yeah, I, I deserve it. <laughs> so going to the Board Game Geek, it's a rank overall is a 24. On the thematic, it's a number 8. It's a, it has an 8.4 uh, rating, and it's a game from 2018. Complexity, 3.3 out of 5. 1 to 5 players, which, of course, the main... Uh, Sweet spot, I guess, for this game, for what I have heard, at least, it's either solo or two players. Uh, and, you know, this is, once again, Adam, I'm so happy that you added to the list, because this is the game that I'm probably most excited ever. This is definitely the, my most excited Kickstarter ever. And Are you are you a big fan of Aliens? Did you see the movies? Well, I, see, I saw the movies. I'm not a big fan person. I mean, I have yeah. good memories yeah. and I can watch them again like once in a while and I yeah. still have fun. Uh, probably from the whole saga, my favorite is Prometheus, but it's, it's not I just mean, that. It's inspired by it, right? But it's not like yeah. a carbon copy, right? It's... Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's just that there's I haven't heard anybody to say anything bad about this game and component wise and the theme is really appealing. The tension that I witnessed as you were playing, as you were having your playthrough, I remember you were rolling like very, very lucky that die. I mean, I... I oh, that die? I don't yeah. know what is wrong with that thing. Mm-hmm. That, like, I, I need to hold on to that or sell, yeah. it, sell it to somebody because it's like... Literally. I remember that. I remember rolling that thing and every time I was like, no one's going to believe me. Everyone's going to think I'm rigging this playthrough because yeah. the stupid die keeps rolling amazing results all the time. And, yeah. Uh, it, it, was, it was insane. It literally save you like probably at least five rounds straight. I remember watching your video. <laughs> and if you haven't watched that video, I highly recommend you to go and watch it from Rolling Solo, the Nemesis playthrough, because it's fantastic. Now, I haven't forget. Right now, Adam, I wish you could see my hands. They're full of glue. Why? Because I'm putting together um, the uh, three I bought from Etsy, a 3D insert, uh, you know, kind of like a broken token-ish. Uh, insert, oh, no way. Uh, yeah. for for another game that I just got that I loved, and it's not a okay. a cooperative game or anything like that. You can play yeah. it solo, but it's a worker placement, and I'm talking about Lost Lost Ruins of Arnak, uh, which I'm having a blast with the game. So I got the insert, and my my hands are full of glue right now, and I haven't even finished. Now, what is your experience with inserts? And we were talking earlier about inserts on the boxes that they're not good, like the Fantasy Flight ones. But do you actually sometimes get specialized inserts or you don't care too much and you just toss everything on C-block bags and put it there? I, I like if it's a game that I really like. And and again, like I said kind of earlier with the 100, you know, I have 100 games in my collection. Let's say 20 or 25 are the ones that are like my favorite. Like you'd have to rip them out of my hands to take them away sure. from me. I might look for special inserts for games like that just because... I know I'm going to play those more often and then that'll help the time it takes to set them up and put them away. Plus it's just this like weird 
weird factor that I think everyone feels when it, they know their favorite game is organized perfectly. Like it's mm-hmm. just this weird happiness. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, it, right. um, so I think like for nemesis and stuff like that, like I, I was able to get the E-Raptor insert from them. That was, uh, that was really cool. Um, just okay. because they did like, they did a really good job. There's, they've had a number of their inserts in the past that have been kind of spotty and, and, you know, they've learned a lot, I think over the years and stuff like that based on their designs. Um, but these, uh, the tainted grail one and the, and the nemesis ones they pumped out for awaken realms were really, I was really impressed. Like I, I, I walked away and I was like, this, this is what every other insert they make needs to be like, like they, they, they nailed it. Um, and of course, anyone that makes, uh, other inserts, uh, for games as well. Um, it's a weird thing. Sometimes I look at them and I go, some of them are overpriced. And then sometimes mm-hmm. I look at them and go, some of them are too cheap and, and too much work. So for instance, like yeah. you just mentioned like your hands are full of glue. Yeah. Like I've, I've dealt with folded space where I've been like, these are awesome. Cause they're like 15 bucks or 17 bucks and it's quick and easy. Mm-hmm. But then, um, and I, I did it with rising sun actually is a good example. I, I put together a folded space insert for rising sun. Cause obviously <clears throat> trying to get games like that it's not a solo game but trying to get games like that to the table when it's all in the seamon boxes is is a nightmare um mm-hmm. so but again i put all these inserts together for, from folded space and then i couldn't i didn't have glue so they're all just kind of put together but at any moment could just all fall apart like if i pick it up the wrong way so <laughs> there's a part of these inserts that bother me i feel like we still haven't gotten to the point where someone's really truly nailed it like price for for what an insert should be it's like everyone's close like we've got the mdf stuff that looks really good uh it's solid as a rock um it clicks together so that's nice you don't need glue but then it's more expensive so that's that's the reason why people avoid it and then you've got things like and then broken token falls into that world too kind of and then you've got like folded space which is like super cheap but then you've got to put in all this effort yourself later gluing everything. And of course, once you're done gluing it, if you didn't glue it properly, it's going to look like somebody like sneezed all over your insert. Um, (laughs) So it's kind of like, yeah, that doesn't look good either. So it's just weird. I feel like we haven't hit the, the, like the only other company I can think of right now that's actually doing a really good job, but just hasn't offered their services as an insert company you know, off the cuff would be like game trays because the game trays is huge because they're involved in lots of Kickstarters, but they haven't gone another way. I I think yet to open up the door of, we need to make inserts for just the games that we're not directly involved in. In other words, let's just make inserts to make inserts to make these things more. Cause I think if they actually went that road, they would knock all the other competitors out of the equation quite quickly. I totally agree. And Game Trace, it's fantastic. My most recent experience with They're Game amazing. Trace, my most yeah. experience is with uh, a game that I actually enjoy a lot. And it's pretty, it's an easy game. It's probably a dumb game, but I actually enjoy a lot. It's uh, from Brother Wise Game, and I'm talking about Overboss. Uh, so oh, yeah. the, the recent Kickstarter, it came with all the trades for the tiles, for you know the, the cards that you're going to use during the game. And they are fantastic. The other game that I bought because my wife wanted to get it from the game store most recently, it's another game from uh, Waterfloat Games, I think it's called the company. And it's uh, Holy, which is about uh, the Indian celebration of colors. And um, right. and it has a pretty nice 3D board and all the stuff. It's a nice. cool, fun game, you know, for I always re- I recommend that game for couples or, or families. Um, and uh, 
that one came also with game trace and i'm just becoming little by little a fan of game trace because you're right they're fantastic and 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 And, and it was bad of me to even say that nobody was really doing game like doing when i say like no one was doing inserts like as well as it could be it's more so Mm -hmm. to say that like game trace is focusing really heavily on the on the kicks like the crowdfunding side like they kind of like to come in as part of a new product they don't really come in as a Oh, like Robinson Cruz. Oh, I guess it's a bad example because Robinson Cruz is on GameFound right now. <laughs> but like but, but in the past, did you uh, went in? This, this war of mine's a good one, right? Yeah, like but how many you... people would be happy to be able to jam, you know, a bunch of stuff into a game trays insert for this war of mine? Like it'd be a big, big, big. Yeah, yeah, it's it's big, and I think that the. I mean, it's probably there's probably lots of different reasons why they do and don't go down that road. And it's probably just, they know with the Kickstarter stuff that it's guaranteed money because the money's up front and there's, there's no risk of like overstock and having all these inserts laying around that aren't selling. Yeah. But I think if anyone was going to step up and say, all right, enough of this, enough of this silly cardboard insert stuff, enough of these games just with flopping components all over the place, you know, we're going to be the kingpin of the insert game. Um, if they were to step up and take that, helm i don't think anyone could beat them yeah. i think i think they would take it all <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, I, I, because I they're, they're like every time i open up a kickstarter and there's game trades inside of it i think i opened up uh dice Throne adventures right mm-hmm. that up, and i was just like this is incredible i'm like every card has a perfect spot every divider is perfectly managed all the dice are like there's just something satisfying about opening up something and going perfect there's four trays in here i pull these four trays out i take the lids off and we play (laughs) there is nothing more satisfying than that versus let's open up uh gloomhaven and spend four hours trying to get this thing to the table and then start playing like that's the kind of you know like those are the kind of games that you just benefit from it huge so it's crazy man and they'll get there there, but yeah it's it's a it's a big ask right so i mean but i feel like every kickstarter should have dice tray at this point they should Uh, but you know what that you were you were talking about uh dice throne adventures that's Mm -hmm. another game that i still don't understand why i didn't jump into the kickstarter because i it's really I've been craving for that, that game. Late. I missed. I skipped it too, and I was like, "Yeah, it's." It was originally a multiplayer thing, right? Yeah, so yeah, I like, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I don't think this is gonna stick around for me. And then Dice Throne Adventures came out, and I was like, "I don't know if that's enough for me to really dip my toe in this." Mm-hmm. And then, and then I went nuts. <laughs> I bought so, it all myself. Is, I like, went if... to their store and just spent too much money. And then when I got it, I was like, "Oh, the production value on this is really good." I'm like, "I'm really glad I actually did." And then, like I said, game trades involved, so there's that level on top of it. I'm like, "No, nah, it's pretty awesome." But I just it... haven't got I haven't gotten it to I haven't gotten it to the table yet. But I okay. recently unboxed it and recently organized it, so it's it's in it's in the queue of things to to toy around with and and see whether it's going to be something that might land on the channel in the near future. And that was going to be my question to see if we can get any <laughs> any early impressions of the game. But I guess since we cannot at this point still, please, Adam, let's jump into your number two because we're getting close to that mythic game that is basically like your second love or something like that because it's the game that you're going to save all, all the time. So what about your number two? All right, so my number two, I'm going to cheat. <laughs> Because I okay. have two games that are going to jam into the number two position, but that's because they're very much similar. 
um, Let's go in for terms it. of what they do. And that is Arkham Horror, the card game, and Lord of the Rings, living card game, because they're both from the same company, same, okay. you know, same mindset behind them, and, and one built off the other, to be completely honest. Makes, makes sense, yeah. Yeah, so so for me, these two, and the reason I could, and if I was going to pick one over, over the other, it would be a time frame based thing. So if you were talking to me as of, I want to say, two years ago, I would have said Lord of the Rings is the best of the two because arkham was very new what arkham came out in 2016's oh mate i believe so that's a tough it's older Mm -hmm. than i think actually yeah (laughs) it's like it feels old now that's crazy um yeah no so arkham recent like arkham in the last couple years or few years have definitely it's flipped over my brain that arkham is the one that i would rather have um but when i first started the channel it was Lord of the Rings that made me realize I was spending way too much time playing solo games by myself. <laughs> so I had bought an, I had, I was in an unfinished basement with a Costco table, just sitting in the cold with a lamp, and I had bought Mage Knight, and I was like, you know, for whatever ridiculous reason, I thought that was the greatest game to buy based on uh, R- Ricky Royal's playthrough, but that's because his playthrough was amazing. Yeah. Um, and so I bought the game, played, learned Mage Knight, and then shortly after Mage Knight, I was like, okay, this is a really cool game, but it's kind of like a one-shot game. It's kind of like I want to sit down, play Mage Knight, puzzle it out, and I'm done. Now I want to try something that has a little bit more like I want to come back and revisit it and, and keep hitting it more often, mm-hmm. more frequently. And that's where the uh, <clears throat> Lord of the Rings kind of popped in and took hold of me in a very, very aggressive way. <laughs> so. Yeah. When I cared to actually track my ch- my games on on Board Game Geek, um, I have all of my Lord of the Rings games tracked from way back, and I stopped at a certain point. I used to also every time I played a game, I would track my deck on a, spe- a certain site, which I forget the name of now. I think it's like a d de- uh, like a database site for Lord of the Rings. So basically, I could go back in time and go, what deck did I create to beat that scenario? So I could even go back today and replay them and i'd be able to know exactly how my deck was customized to beat that scenario um, and then also know which ones i tried and I, it didn't work out so hot um, and i just got hooked into this idea i just love the idea that you could build a deck to beat a scenario like i thought that was the coolest thing ever where it was like you try it you fail you realize you're weak in certain spots and lord of the rings pulling you're playing through it and you're like okay I'm gonna chuck out a couple of cards switch these other ones in let's see if this works it's kind of like it was like a mage knight feel, right? Yeah. Which is why I, I want to say when I told you earlier, like thematic gameplay is my thing. I feel like strategy is also one of my other major like things. So you'll yeah. notice in a number of these games, most of them have strategy and thematic is like a huge like if you're looking at the board game ranking system, you those are the two keywords that seem to pop up and the ones I like the most. Yeah, actually, um, actually right now that I'm reading the board game geek, you know, uh page of Hargam Horror, the rank overall is 22, and Customizable, which it will be like, I guess, you know, unique thing, a unique thing, is number one. It's the number one Customizable game on the, all the all the BGG uh, base, uh, database, I'm sorry. Thematic, it's in number 10. 8, yeah. 8.2 of rating, uh, 1 to 2 players, of course. Uh, it's best with 2, but there's also that thing of buying 2 core boxes, you know, in order to make it better. Uh, if you're going to start from scratch and the complexity is 3.4 out of 5 uh, 14 euro plus and yes indeed it's a game from 2016 that's crazy because it didn't seem too long for doesn't me that, for some reason yeah like really no. Far back? <laughs> no 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 i know it's crazy 
Uh, it doesn't but, seem like that old of a game, but it is. And you know what? With me, with Arkham Horror, I played it, and I remember going crazy when it came out, and you know, like getting all the I got the coin, the token protectors, and all that stuff. You know, trying oh, to. Oh, nice! That's trying, the way to go, man. You trying gotta to have those coin protectors. Well, I it's, already, it, it's something about that makes it feel so much more satisfying when you're exactly drawing those every other second. And I already got those ones for waiting for Nemesis, of course, also. Oh, but, uh, cool. Yeah, but um. You know, and then what happened to me is that I played a couple of times, and then it went down. It went down, and I don't know what I don't know what it was, but I still I still own a bunch of expansions and everything. But it's probably been like at least two years since the last time I played Arkham Horror LCG. And between that one and Lord of the Rings, I'm not gonna say Lord of the Rings is better, but I will say that I have better memories playing Lord of the Rings, the LCG than Arkham Horror. For some reason. I don't know what it is. And I know I could be wrong. And I know probably Arkham Horror is way better. And I yeah. love HP Lovecraft theme and universe and all that. But yeah. I don't know what it is. It's just Lord of the Rings. For some reason, if you if I have to pick one of those two, I might just pick Lord of the Rings slightly you know above. What? Like it's it's funny because it's like this this is why I had to put them both on the same slot mm-hmm. because I couldn't say one without the other because one if if Fantasy Flight had to put out Arkham Horror first, and then yeah. we—I mean, obviously it wouldn't have worked out the way it worked out because they made Arkham Horror the way the way they customized Arkham Horror was what they learned from the faults of Lord of the Rings, and, yeah. and not necessarily the faults, but just like the 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 brutal nature of needing to customize decks to win scenarios was not always the most popular with everybody. Whereas some people like loved it. Like I actually really love that puzzle of like. Every time you open up another pack, you get a bunch more cards. It's kind of like your your pool grows, and then it's like, ooh, look at all these options I could potentially throw into my deck. This is fun. Mm-hmm. Some people just looked at it as like this exponential, like, oh my gosh, like how, if how many more cards to this pool are there, and then how many more hours of my life am I going to spend trying to figure out how to crack this this puzzle? Because yeah. I, I remember with Lord of the Rings, it was the first three core scenarios that they threw in there. The um, uh what was it called journey down the what was it called and anduin i don't i, I think pro- yeah i probably it, pronounce pronouncing that wrong someone someone that's a lord of the rings yeah shoot me but i'm a big one myself <laughs> but anyway that that was a brutal scenario for somebody to try and win like if you were just going into the game blindly and you're like oh this is what the game's gonna be like you get yeah. to that third scenario and you're like how <laughs> yeah how do you beat that um mm-hmm. and that's kind of what this game gave you is just like it, it would give you some wins and then it would give you a hard wall and just say like, nice try. You're not getting past this. And mm-hmm. the only way you're getting past it is to jump to the next expansion. And then once more cards jump into your pool, now your odds of success go up a little bit more. And, and I, I like that. And I think I agree with you too on the, on the memory side of things because of the way it released um, for me, my, my memories of just playing that, before the channel had even started when that's again like i said like this is the reason why i started the channel because i was sitting there playing lord of the rings a card game spending hours upon hours and hours a night by myself just playing a game so no like i was getting no feedback from anybody else it was just me enjoying my time with it mm-hmm. and those memories i'll never forget because i was having a blast and it's probably my most played solo game ever like in terms of length of time Mm-hmm. Um, and I also own everything to date, like literally everything. I've bought every single pack, um, including all the crazy anniversary stuff and everything else. Um, 
but I will also say the same as you. Like, if you're talking about memories at the end of the day, it's Lord of the Rings wins. Like, just in terms of like my fondness for it. But in terms of like the design of what I'd rather prefer to play mm-hmm. now, I'd rather play Arkham's design more so because I can tweak my deck, but I can do it without spending a ridiculous amount of time managing recording writing down you know all that kind of like fiddly management in between trying to figure out how to crack the code of of that scenario um you're still doing that in arkham horror but you're you're the amount of cards you're switching in and out drastically drops a little bit to the point where you're like you don't have as many options to choose from so it it helps you move along a little quicker but long story short these these two i mean you can't you can't lose with these like they they knocked into the park and um the idea that you could play a game where you could buy packs and you were never never going to open up a pack and be like, oh, shoot, I didn't get the rare. <laughs> like, yeah. I didn't get the card that, you know, that Joe Blow has. <laughs> like this was going to be something where you just buy a pack and you know it's going to be the same as everybody else's. So you're never missing anything. That was a whole different concept that hadn't happened uh, in board games in this way. Right. Yeah. Um, so that was really cool. And I and of course, when you have like Lord of the Rings as your IP and Arkham Horror is, an, is you know, it's pretty hard to uh to not say these things are pretty pretty high up the scale in in the solo community for being amazing games so adam instead of going back and to another topic like i said at the beginning of the interview you were mentioning that you have two honorable mentions and i think this is a good uh, this is a good time to talk about them and then we're gonna jump into the mythic number one so go ahead with your honorable mentions all right, so honorable mention number one, and this one, it, th- like I'll tell you right now, it was, uh, I theme-wise, it's bang on to the kind of stuff that I like, uh, but I did not expect it to be as good as it is until it landed and I played it. And that is Cthulhu Death May Die. Oh, that's um, one of my favorites too, yeah. Kickstarter, I looked at it as a, this, it, I looked, I backed it as a, I hope this is good. Like, because for me, it was, okay, cool. It's it's falling into the HP Lovecraft world and everything else. Lots of those games around, right? So it's hard to find one that's like a true winner, like one that really goes pa- goes above and beyond everybody else. Mm-hmm. It was cool that Steamon was uh, doing it and stuff like this, or Cool Mini or not. Um, and uh, that was kind of an element where I'm like, okay, well, the miniatures are going to be cool. That's great. Uh, but I really hope that the gameplay is actually good. And the fact they had... Eric Lang and Rob Davio working together tweaked or piqued my interest because I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Like, that's going to be an interesting dynamic. Um, and then I, I just remember the feeling the first time I played the first game, and I was, I, I don't, it was the same feeling I had with with Nemesis. It was like, it was like the, I was just having so much fun. Like, and that's the thing that I now, like, I realize now with my top, like, even with this list, this top five list. It's like every game that has to land on this list has to provide me like that. Like, I just can't wait to play it again feeling that like constant tension fun is just over the moon. And the same thing with uh, this one, the mechanics of it are, are always they always end up resulting in the game coming right down to the wire every single time, which is nuts because I don't even I design wise. I don't even know how they nailed that so well. it's almost scary um and it's funny to say scary when you're talking about cthulhu but it's like it literally is scary how how they were able to make a game that is 
based in a Ameritrash style game with dice rolling and lots of, you know, chance and randomness. But for some strange reason, all that mess always results in the end game being epic every single time. Like there's never, I've never played it and it's ever fallen flat to the point where it's like, well, that was an easy win or that was like, you know, a little boring. Like every single scenario, every single elder God throws so many weird things in the mix, but yet it always comes down to moments where you're like, we got this. And then moments later, it's like, no, we're going to die. And then it's like, no, wait, we got this. (laughs) No, we're going to die again. And it's like, and it just, it causes so many emotions of like, you know, the world's ending and then, oh, we can save it. (laughs) It's so much fun. Yeah, I, think- I, I, I named this one my 2019 surprise hit of the year because I it was and it was weird to say that because I was like, it's not really a surprise hit. Like, it wasn't like people didn't know this game was coming, but I don't think yeah. people knew it would be this good. Like, and you're probably going to mention what's on Board Game Geek, but the way they've rated it, like I see this game continuing to rise up the ranks because I think what happened is people looked at this one. They saw the giant miniature. They saw the overproduction of it. And they washed over it and they said, oh, another Cthulhu, another HP Lovecraft game, another Miniatures Insanity game. Uh, Been there, done that. Don't care. And then everyone said, wait a minute, the game's amazing. And you guys are all missing out. And Mm -hmm. then everyone turned around and went, wait, 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 this is going to retail, right? And then that's like the can opened up. (laughs) Yeah. And actually, actually on Board Game Geek, really quick, it's 8.2, a rating, rank overall 174, thematic 25. And two two point four out of five complexity because it's not a real it's not a complex game, uh, oh, and it's yeah. one to one to five players. And I'm happy that you mentioned this as your honorable mention because this game actually you couldn't describe it any better. Like basically, what you just say, I w- it was the same for me like another Cthulhu game, which in my case I don't have anything against. It's fine. I actually yeah, exactly. that the theme is very appealing to me. Uh, but then I think this game, sir past most not all of them but most of the fantasy flight board games in the hp lovecraft universe of course you have eldritch horror which is fantastic um you have the third edition of arkham horror i actually enjoyed it quite a bit but i think this one is different this one is just like rock and roll you know it's fun like it's like you know let's do it like let's just play a game that Yes, you're not gonna chill out because there's that tension, but at the same yeah. time, it's just fun. So I think, um, I think you, I think you nailed it actually by comparing yeah. it to, as a board game to Fantasy Flight because they have such a, a power hold on like mm-hmm. the HP Lovecraft. Yeah, like just in terms of pumping out games that are always successful with that. Yeah, um, I think you're right though. Like when I think about Eldritch Horror and I think about Arkham Horror, and uh, and well, Mansions of Madness is a is a different. Uh, it's a different ball of wax, in my opinion. That that would I, yeah. I love Mansions of Madness, but I I wouldn't consider it as part of the equation. Well, I don't know, I don't know. It's it's you could argue either way, but I think if you're thinking Arkham Horror, Eldritch Horror, and Cthulhu Death May Die is like the three board games you'd pick up. Mansions of Madness to me is more like a I don't even know how to describe that one because being that it's an app driven game, it's more like a mm-hmm. it's more of an experience than yes. it is a board game it's weird it's really hard to describe but it's it's so good though it, it whatever it's doing it's doing it in a way that no nothing else is, is like it mm-hmm. so it, that's why people love it i think but if you're com- uh comparing cthulhu death may die against uh, arkham horror for me arkham horror if you're talking second edition or third edition it's above that 
Like I would rather play Cthulhu Death May Die than either of those iterations, or even the very, very first one. Um, so it's better than any of the Arkham Horror board games um, that were came from Fantasy Flight. And then in terms of Eldritch Horror, that's where it gets tough for me. I would rather play Cthulhu Death May Die than Eldritch Horror, but mm-hmm. Eldritch Horror's des- like um, design still makes me just think it's just the fact that Cthulhu Death May Die is newer is the reason that I'm probably putting it over. Um, if Eldritch Horror and Cthulhu Death May Die like came out right now together, I'd probably be saying they're both fantastic and roughly around the same, you know, space. But I think because yeah. everyone's played Eldritch Horror until they're blue in the face, it's easy now to kind of look and go, well, it's better than that because I've already done that. Um, yeah. But I, and I'm and I'm kind of there with that, too. But I, I do think like in terms of the most recent HP Lovecraft games that have landed like this one, if this doesn't come back to Kickstarter for another couple seasons, I will be very shocked. Like I would be very shocked and it would be a really bad idea if they didn't. (laughs) Yeah. I can (laughs) totally agree with you. There is a, there's a lot of love for this game. And, um, I don't know what, like, like I said, it's just the mechanics of it are, they're, is quirky. Like if you, if I remember playing this game with somebody the first time, uh, Mm -hmm. because I wanted to run it through with it with a friend as well, after I'd played it solo a couple times to see how he thought about it, like in terms of a multiplayer game too. And I remember explaining it to him and I did kind of feel like the flow of it, uh, the flow of it is a little different than anything people have normally played in terms of like how the rounds go. And like, you're dealing with a lot of cards and managing decks and flipping reshuffling and all that kind of stuff. But if you're yep. comparing it to something like Eldritch Horror or Arkham Horror, it's way easier. Like it's yeah, way true. easier. It's just yeah. it's just weird and quirky. It, it looks busier than it is. I guess is the better way to say it. Like someone sitting down at the table will be like, "Oh man, I'm in for a good four hour experience here." Yeah. Uh, so, but then all of a sudden they realize they're done in an hour and a half. They're like, "Oh, okay." Wait, <laughs> that was yeah, so bad. Right. Yeah, that's um, true. So now this and Arkham Horror and Eldritch Horror are like a three hour experience. So. Yeah, yeah, those are those are long, man. They're but crazy. T- Tell me about your second honorable mention. Second honorable mention. Is, so it's really funny. I'll say one thing before I say it is that both of these are dice checkers. Like just, just cause I, they just are, I don't know what it, what it is about these two, but this next one is, um, shadows of brimstone. It is a dice checker to the nth degree. <laughs> okay. Um, it is a rabbit hole of a game. Um, and the reason that I put it on the list and I think it would probably shock a lot of people uh, is just because I have similar to like what you said about, um, you know, Lord of the Rings, the living card game. I have a lot of fond memories because for me, this was the first, this was the first dungeon crawler that grabbed me. And every time I played it and I was done with it, I had a story to tell. Like, and, and I remember every single time after every game, I was always like, Oh, this is what happened when I went down the mines this time. Um, and what was nuts about it is, it's got that mentality like Kingdom Death Monster, where if you just go with the base game, for instance, and, it, and obviously it's a little bit, it's, I don't really want to compare it to Kingdom Death Monster, like apples to apples, because it's not even close. But in terms of what's inside of the Shadows of Brimstone core boxes, there's two of them, right? So there's quite a bit between the two. If you merge those two together, you've got a couple different areas that you can explore. The whole premise of it is like it's you're, you're basically heading into the mines is a Western style, uh, you know, HP Lovecraft game. Um, so you're going into the mines to try to, you know, figure out or destroy whatever evils are coming out of the mines and coming out into the land. Um, this is one of those games that the more you buy, the better 
time you have with it. Uh, and it sounds like one of those, it sounds like an LCG. It sounds like it's roping you in to spend tons of money. Um, and then, and then hoping that the game will get better as you spend more cash, <laughs> but yeah. it actually does get better as you spend more money. Um, and that's the weird, I think that's the barrier with this one is that people look at it and they go, well, what's in the core box is fun, but it doesn't give me enough different places that I really want to come back to it and explore it. But if you're one of those people who like dove into it, cause you're like, wow, there's a few expansion boxes here that are pretty cool. And you started to go after a few. It's very easy. It's a slippery slope. It's very easy to start going down the rabbit hole real fast. And that's what happened to me uh, very early on. It was it was within the first year of the channel starting. And I had already bought a whole bunch of it off Kickstarter. And the coolest thing in the game, I thought, was you go into the mines. You're trying to you know close up and seal the mine. There's different missions you can do, right, in the scenario book. But there's these portals you can find. And it was one of those games where the game maps not on the board to start so as you walk through the mines you're revealing a tile you're revealing a tile every time you move a little bit more you're you're revealing different paths so the mine is never going to look the same it's never going to land the same no matter what you do always going to be different and then on top of it you're going to eventually run into portals and there'll be a doorway and you'll be sitting there going hmm okay well we have a mission but there's this portal right here and if we go through that portal we don't know where we're going to go. And based on how many expansions you have, you have access to what, well, at least current day, it's insane. There's like eight to 10 different worlds, I think, in, in total. <laughs> you could go through that portal and you don't know which realm you're going to end up in. You could end up in feudal Japan. You could end up on a spaceship in outer space. You could end up on like a, like Targa, like a snow planet. You could end up in a jungle. You could end up in, uh, like there's so many different spots. And the coolest thing that makes the stories with this game really interesting is that you'll go in there, fight a bunch of stuff, accomplish some things once you've gone through this portal, but you'll bring back unique items and gear from that world. When you come back through the portal, then you finish your mission. And now you've got items that you wouldn't have otherwise gotten unless you had that story to tell, like that adventure that took you there. And then the next time you play and you use that character again, you've got that gear. And so you go through another episode and you go through a different portal and you grab some different stuff. So no play is ever going to be the same. Like it is truly, it is a really, really good game. The thing that was one of the biggest barriers to it, I think, was the, the amount of expansions and the original core sets were really, really harsh on people that were like that liked board games and had to build miniatures because the sprues were really bad. There was like, you know, you had to put together a spider and it was broken down into like nine or 10 parts. And the legs were like the size of like your, like the hair end of your fingernail. (laughs) So it was like pretty brutal, but they revised both of the cores this year. And now all of the quality of the cores now matches the expansions that got exponentially better over the years. So now not only are the miniatures better quality, but the sprues are way better and all the rules and everything else have been updated. And those land in stores, I think like tail end of last year. So I haven't grabbed the revised versions yet, but I'm planning on it. And the last thing I'll say about it, because I'm very passionate with this one, because I I do think it's like one that gets shoved under the rug a lot, but a lot of people don't realize how fun it is, Uh um, is if you play the game for what's in the rule book scenario wise, you are going to think the game is 
decent. Like you're going to go, okay, so there's 10, let's say there's 10 scenarios inside the book. So you're like, okay, let's pick a scenario and play it, go through this, uh, you know, mine, do this scenario and we're done. You're going to kind of sit there and go, yeah, this is fun. But like these one shot things don't do it for me. Like, I don't want to just play a one shot because there's no, like, I don't want to start over again. Right. Yeah. So what you do, and this is what, this is what got me falling down the rabbit hole real fast is if you go to the shadows of brimstone city of ancients on board game geek, and you go to the file section, the number one file in that section is called hex crawl. It is a, um, it's the most liked, um, it's the most liked file that's sitting underneath that game. It's a 20 megabyte download. And it okay. includes a full overland map of a world, like a Western world. It's got full charts for cities, towns, and everything else. It has full rule sets for, uh, and it's basically a, a person or two that put together a full on system of how you can play. Like there's uh, there's a number of different ways you can play the game, but the one I love the most was called, I think it was like Mind Blast or Mind Buster. So essentially you'd have this map that has a bunch of mines all over the map, plus a bunch of towns. And you would walk, you know, between, you'd move kind of similar to, he- you know, uh, Hexplorers, the game that I'm covering right now. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Think about that kind of look-ish in terms of the hexes. So you're walking around, you go to a town. Guess what? You've never been to that town. So what are you going to do? You're going to roll on some charts to determine what town you've walked into, what type of town there is, what buildings are in that town, what are they selling? So literally you're procedurally generating the map as you explore it. And it's a blast because you have no idea what you're running into at any given time, throws all kinds of wrenches at you, builds all kinds of stories that you never even knew were possible. And you'll go into a town, you'll find it and you'll be like, Oh, we really needed to, you know, heal up this time, but there's no, there's no place to heal up. We only have saloon here, a church, a couple other locations, but this town's too small. It's not, it doesn't have what we need. We got to keep going and find the next town and hope it's bigger. And you keep moving to the next town. Um, and then there's mines around, of course, right? And the idea is that you're supposed to be blasting, going into the mines and winning the scenario in the mine, which comes from the regular rule book. And then you seal the mine on the map to say it's been blasted and closed. And no longer can the evil come out of that mine and consume the nearest town. So basically the game has a mechanic in it where as you're running around trying to seal all the mines, the mines are spewing out evil. And if you don't close them fast enough, they start sucking the towns down with them. And eventually you lose the game if all the towns are gone. Because then at that point, the evil has taken over the entire land and your campaign has gone sideways. That it, that system is the best like um, fan-made variant I have ever seen. Like, hands down. 100%. There's <laughs> nothing that even comes close. So it's, <laughs> like, it's, it's a in, blast. It's in and it's, it's huge. And they put so much effort into it. Um, there's just a lot of people that are really passionate about the game and just went like, they took it and they went like, here's a game that has potential to have like RPG in a box kind of feel. Let's just do it. Let's just build this. Let's make it happen. And they, they did it. And it's an, it's insane. And I will not sell any of that stuff. Because it's amazing. So I, I continue to this day to collect every bloody thing that comes out for it because the more you get, the more options you have. And it's it's just like the stories the game tells. I don't know another board game that tells better stories than that. Like I don't because every time I played it either solo or with friends, and it's really fun with friends too, you also come out of it and you you'll talk about the experience you had. 
like when you were inside of the mine or you went to a certain town and things went sideways or you were robbed on your way to, to a certain town, whatever, right? There's so many things that can happen. Nuts. So and it's that, easily overlooked. Easily that's overlooked another, that's another game that I wanna, really want to try. Because I remember you told me on the last episode that you were on the show about this yeah. game and you were on it. And that's another game that I need to try because it seems like it's a game that it's, like you said, just go under the radar probably because it's something <laughs> with pricey or so on and so forth. Adam, here is the thing, my friend. We've been almost talking for three hours about fantastic things. <laughs> But this is not Titanic, so we need to keep moving. So because of that, and I know there's many things that we have to talk, and I'm pretty sure we will have more episodes to do it, I'm eager to hear about your number one. Your number one, that mythic number, that mythic game that surpasses everything else on your collection or your experience and as you enjoy your solo gaming hobby. So... Uh, I, I I honestly have no idea which game is gonna be, but hit it, my friend. Ooh. You're number one. Number one game for me uh, is one that's um, oh, this is this this one was this one has a special place. Um, it was it was really funny actually. The when I when I originally got it or originally bought it, I should say, um, was actually just before my daughter was born. And it was okay. a gamble because I was buying it off of Kickstarter and I didn't know if it was going to be any good. And I was like crossing my fingers. It was very early on when I was just starting to dabble into Kickstarter and drop decent amounts of money in there. And I was kind of scared that it wouldn't be good and mm-hmm. I might be just wasting my money. <laughs> and that game is Too Many Bones. And it came out in 2017 and I dumped, I went all in on it i didn't know for sure if it was going to land with me or not but from what i looked and saw on the kickstarter i was really intrigued and then when i i remember the day it showed up i remember how heavy that box was and you know weight certainly makes you feel good that you you know the money that you put towards something you know you you might have gotten something worth it right see i I cracked into all the boxes and started looking at the components and i was like I don't have anything like this in my collection. I'm like, this is so different than anything I've seen before. And I was hoping so much while I was opening it up that it would actually be fun. Um, and the first thing I did was I threw patches uh, together and I put, uh, I put them up against Drellin and uh, played through a game of that. And I felt, you know, it was funny because I played it the first time through and I kind of went, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, and, but at the same time I was using, I was using patches who's mainly focuses on healing. Right. So it's not, he's not really like the most aggressive of the gear locks, like, or maybe even the most fun one to use on, on its own. Um, but I, but I still had fun with it, but I kind of was still going like, Oh shoot. Like, I hope I didn't make a mistake here. And this game's maybe not as good as I thought. So then I just changed things up. I picked a different, picked a different gear lock, picked a different, um, I think I went with tantrum actually. And then I, I flipped it over to a, a different um, tyrant and went after that. And I think the second play is what sold me. Um, and really this game to me, it, it like hooked into me after, like like I said, the second play for sure made me feel happy that I bought it. And by the third play, I was addicted. <laughs> okay. I was like chronically addicted. Because for me, it was like the the idea that I could pick a gear lock, pick a tyrant, and really play a game that was again and this is back to my whole strategy and thematic thing 
like when I was telling you, like those are the two things that seem to be like the, it seems yeah. like the games that I gravitate towards are highly ranked in those categories on board game geek. Um, but that's like, it hit everything for me and it was mind blowing to look at the battle mat and the gameplay there and, and look at it and be like, this looks really simple. Like it's just a bunch of circles and you know, there can't be that much to this, right? Like this has got to be some basic combat, like, okay, I hit you with some health, hit you with some defense uh, or I use my defense to defend probably pretty easy. But then the more I kept playing it, the more I was like, every time a new chip came out, it added so much, it added so much different layers of strategy to what you had to do to beat it that you couldn't just waltz your way through the experience. Like it was not easy. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, Oh, this is interesting. I'm like, it's crazy. Cause this thing has a lot of moving parts, a lot of different abilities that are triggering off at different times and for different reasons. But yet for some strange reason, it all works. I'm like, you think this would be a game that you'd find loopholes and huge breakages in, and like it would be tough to really design a game like this because of how many different variables are happening inside of that battle mat, right? Like, mm-hmm. again, it's not a ton of space, but if you're throwing different abilities and you're just mashing it all in there, like you think balance would be an issue, right? Yeah, that's but true. it's and, and there's and there's certain moments where you might feel like your gear lock gets to a point where they're really overpowered, or you might just and there's there's obviously luck involved too, right? Because you're rolling dice, so mm-hmm. sometimes you'll roll dice and be like, "Wow, I just one shot at a tyrant." That's fantastic. Um, you know, there, those kind of moments will happen. But it the cool thing is when it does happen it's not the norm. It's just like, it, it excites you. Cause you're like, Whoa, I just one shot at the tire. That hasn't ha- like, that never happens. What the heck? <laughs> like, yeah. How did true. I get to that ending? Um, and I want to do that again now. Um, so the more I played the game, the more I got sucked into it. Um, so I, you know, I've, I've got everything for it. Um, and I got everything all stored into the trove chest and I still love it to this day. Like every time something comes up for it, I'm just like, I, I need it. Mm-hmm. That's just but to be to be completely honest. If everything in my collection was taken from me, that is the one game I would hold on to. And the funny thing is, if the house was flooded or there was a fire, I think that was the one game that actually might have a chance to survive it. Maybe. Yeah, because the, the definitely chest, the water side of things. The chest is beautiful, and the components for that game are beautiful. Let me tell you really quick. Yeah. Uh, the board game geek uh, technical specific. Uh, I'm sorry, technical. You know the data, I guess. Yeah, rank over ranker overall is forty eight. It's a, on the thematic, it's a twelve. A strategy, it's a thirty one. Eight point four rating. It came on two thousand seventeen with a complexity three point eight out of five. One to four players. I played this game when it came out, and I haven't played it again. And probably I should bring it back to the table. I don't own it, but one of my friends owned it back on the day when I tried it. I think I was a different type of gamer because I was more into like kind of like liking games where like it will be very hard for me to win like but on the aspect that hey i wanted to play a game that either i win or i die and i remember right. too many bones um it was like okay i remember if you if, what i remember from the game is like if you lose you just restart basically and try it again which now it makes more sense now as a you know i get i guess more experienced gamer or more mature as a gamer um right so it's definitely a game that I want to try a little bit more. And I'm really surprised that you bring that as your number one. Not because I'm saying it's a bad game or anything at all. But for some reason, I was expecting more like a Tented Grail or Sleeping Gods or <laughs> something like that. But um, 
But hey, I think the list that you gave well, tonight that's, that's was fantastic. I was looking at it from the perspective of like, um, you know, if we're talking top five games of all time, then to me, mm-hmm. it's it's my to get into that kind of list for me. It, it's kind of it comes down to like which games do I keep coming back to the most because those yeah. are the ones that end up being your top five. Like, sure, there might be games that came out this year that are like probably contenders. Like, sleep. To be completely honest, when you said Sleeping Gods. That's a fantastic choice. Like for, I would not be surprised if a number of people, you know, if they were to do their list right now, would would slip that one in, right? To say yeah. like, yeah, that deserves to be in there now. Um, but for me, it's like I look at it as a longevity thing. It's like for it to be in my top five, I I just look at games that come out this current year or maybe last year and go, let's see if they actually stand up for enough time. Yeah. Like, let's see if they actually hold up their value because they're either flash in the pan kind of success, which is like, you're a great game. That's great. You you were great for your time, but you're not going to be around. You're not going to be selling really hot in a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's other ones that just seem to stick around or they're heavily recommended or you keep wanting to pull them off the shelf. And those are the ones mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, if you're talking all time list. Yeah, that's that's where I start leaning on games where I played a lot. So this this list and I go, I guess I kind of cheated a little bit with jaws of the lion because it's a little bit more recent but Mm -hmm. i also you know it ties into gloomhaven which i've played an insane amount of um but uh yeah the too many bones thing i think the one thing i would say to you is and i've heard this a lot too and this is actually kind of something that i heard when when it first landed in 2017 um one of the struggles it had was its rules right like the rule book the the Mm -hmm. amount of abilities that people had to keep track of that was a barrier for people. Like some people thought they were playing wrong or, you know, the rules weren't exactly bang on um, and they need to make some corrections in some of the different spots, of the rule book. Um, but also there was issues with people playing um, certain gear lock and certain tyrant combinations first. So like if you, if you, if your first experience with too many bones, if you just kind of like picked a gear lock, picked a tyrant and ran with it, you might've played a combination back at that point in time that wouldn't have been the best or the most, the, the best way to experience the game the first time, right? Like it might've been a nightmare scenario for you. you might've been wiped out real fast mm-hmm. or you might've, you might've not even had a chance. You maybe had no fun at all. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, instead of it being kind of like, Hey, I'm learning. It's, Hey, I just got destroyed and uh, now I got to start over and I don't know if I really want to do that. Um, and so I, I heard even, I heard that kind of tune through some reviews too where people would say like, yeah, the game's kind of like, you know, it doesn't really hit, you know, it doesn't really hit the mark. But then the funny thing that I kept hearing around this one was that every time people gave it that second chance or went back to it later, their tune changed all of a sudden, which is super weird. And I, I don't know, I still haven't got my finger exactly on it as to why that is, but there's, there's obviously some kind of weird combination inside of that core box that I like. I think if and it might, maybe it has to do with patches. I don't know, but maybe people like go into it, and because patches in the rule book from the very beginning was the one that was using the examples, so people would go, "Okay, I'm going to use patches." And he's really not like the most fun in terms of like doling out damage and stuff because he's just healing himself. So really, all you're doing is just putting more red chips under yourself all the time, right? And kind of, kind of almost buying time to get through the round so i could see how somebody just played with patches once and went like this is it they might go i don't get it (laughs) like i don't get the excitement here 
Um, but if you start playing dual handed where you have patches and another gear lock, that's maybe a little more aggressive, kind of like you would, if you were going on a dungeon crawling adventure and you don't. Okay. And like I told you on the middle of the episode at the beginning, unfortunately at this point, there was nothing else to do. The energy went out at my house. There was no way to reconnect. Um, I actually talked to Adam through my phone at that time and just apologizing with him because how everything went. We ended up uh, recording until 2.30 a.m. in the morning. So you, you, you can tell, right? But anyway, we had a great time. I mean, I think, you know, we went over his whole list. I look forward to have him again. I owe him that. And, and you know, uh, we will do it. We will do it. Thank you once again for these 100 episodes. You know, I look forward to do 100 more. And, you know, like 100 times. Remember. For victory. Go tell your friends. And for another 100 times. Till next time, see you through the speaker and at the tabletop. This is Derek from Solo BG Podcast. 